on, boys? We are back for another week of SVS Fly Fishing Podcasting. It is nice to be sitting next to someone my own age this time, this week. <laughs> Ain't that right, Jay? Hey, hey, it's glad, I'm glad to be back, man. It's been a while, and oh, our you know, family's had a little, little trouble with the, the Rona, and, you know, three weeks worth, of, we had it for a couple weeks, and you guys had it for a couple weeks, and... Glad to be healthy and back at talking to you, my friend. I know, man. I, I can't wait. Uh, I miss this. I miss sitting around this table. But we're back, and tonight's show is being brought to us by A-Rex Hooks. Check them out at arexhooks.com. Sims Fishing. Get all your outdoor gear at simsfishing.com. Tonight's show is being recorded live from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check Mark out at urbanflycompany.com. Hey, and just a, just a little update. Mark won't be on the show for the next few recordings. He's he's backed up, man. Yeah, he was telling me yeah. he's, he's busy, busy, busy. Hey, that's good for him. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, that's what I told him. Uh, Queen City Guiding, so proud of our buddy. For all the hard work, dedication he's putting in. Got the fly shop opened up. And uh, if, if you can't go up to Springville and visit Queen City Guiding, go online and see him at queencityguiding.com. Check out Sims Fishing. What? I already did that one. Oh, you did Sims? Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Hey, it's been a while since we've done this, man. Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at PredatorFlyGear.com. Hey, don't call the bank. Call Frank. And Down the Earth Wealth Management, or by our boy Michael. So, uh, hey, we got a packed show tonight. We're going to get rolling so we can give our first guest a call, Mr. Aaron Chine. So we will be right back, guys. And we are back with our good buddy, Aaron John. What's going on, man? Not a whole lot, man. Oh, it's another uh, rainy Sunday afternoon, right? Another day of no fishing. <laughs> so why haven't you been fishing recently? Um, I mean, primarily I fish for trout, so it's just been a little bit too warm. But But you've been doing a project as well, correct? Yeah, I ended <laughs> up doing a mural at my old high school um, last week, anyways. And, uh, you know, what went into, and I, we talked a little bit before we just started recording, but, uh, if you want to go into like, they reached out to you, you reached out to them and, and how did, how did the whole process go of, you know, them basically portraying what they wanted or how'd that all work out? Well, they got a hold of me because I, uh, I had previously done maybe eight or nine years ago, they rebuilt all the elementary and middle schools and kind of like combined everything onto one, one campus by the high school. Um, and this is an awesome town at Fitch. And uh, so I did all those murals in the gymnasiums and a couple in the cafeteria, like smaller little things uh, for the little kids in elementary school, kind of cutesy shit. And uh, so I think that's how they ended up, you know, getting a hold of me. But when they contacted me, it was all different people and a new superintendent was in charge and they were a little bit more open minded, to you know, some some different artwork as opposed to just the traditional like Freddy the Falcon or the AF that they use on all their stuff. So how much input did they have in the designer? Was that like free? Well, it was, yeah, it was actually funny. Like when they first asked me, they, they, I, I kind of told them like, it just depends on what you guys want. Um, with, you know, I got a two year old now and, and the tattoo shop and my, my passion for fishing. So I kind of pick and choose those kind of, those extra projects, you know, stuff that I'd be into. Uh, so they sent over this, it was kind of like a generic clip art and it was just like half was red, half was blue of just like this falcon head. Um, you know, just like I said, just two tones, 
pretty, pretty flat. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. You know, I said, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be super into it, but I'll do it for you guys. And I'm thinking in my head, like I'll jazz it up a little bit, you know, I'll make it pretty cool. And then like, I don't know, maybe two or three hours later, the superintendent actually texted me outside of the group message, um, you know, with all the people that were kind of all the other people that were putting input into this thing. And he said, uh, you know, I just went through your Instagram page and I really liked like this lion head that you done and this black and gray octopus, like these tattoos. And they were kind of like some of my not darker, but like a little bit grimer, grimier, a little bit edgier artwork, you know, style wise. So I was like, let me send you over a drawing because he said, you know, then he said, I'm not I'm not totally married to this design or the red and the blue. Like, send me over a couple of sketches. So I figured I would start like, you know, as as far as I could push them with it and kind of go from there. I figured they would send some stuff back. And I sent over the actual image we did. It was just kind of like this gnarly, like mean looking falcon head that was kind of in the outline of a falcon i sent it over and they were like he was just like i love it let's go with it don't even send it to the rest of the people in that, in that message and so i was like dude i like this guy man but yeah that's what they told they gave me full reign pretty much on it that's dope man i i saw you gritted out the wall is that how you when you drew it then did you then grid it out on your picture as a reference and then grid out the wall so you didn't lose your your spot on that giant canvas that you had to work yeah with. yeah um anytime like something that large like i think it ended up being 63 or 64 foot from tip of wing to tip of wing i mean it was just absolutely enormous so as far as like keeping things you know keeping your perspective and keeping things in check where they're supposed to be size wise i broke it down into like a three three foot by three foot grin pattern so that way and then i did exactly like you said I, I took a picture of that wall i sketched out what i wanted to do right on that picture that i printed out of the wall and then i broke it into three inch by three inch sections which ended up translating into three foot by three foot on the wall and then that way when i was up on the lift or drawing or painting i was I was kind of tackling it three foot by three foot at a time instead of this giant, you know, wall all at once. And when you go to do something like that, are you just going to Lowe's and buying like a big purdy brush like that people use to cut in when they're painting interiors or? Um, it really depends like what what the budget is on the job. This one, they were like, um, I told them my price and I said that you guys have to pay for all the supplies. I have no idea what something like this is going to end up being price wise. I said, but you guys got to supply the materials and a, and a good, you know, JLG scissor lift. And they said, not a problem. So I, I actually went and met with the the one guy. I think he's like head of operations there or whatever. And they had just painted some of the gymnasiums in the locker room for the football team. So we, he actually followed me to Sherwin-Williams right there in Austintown. And I kind of like, I was like pretty woman in there. I was just like, I'll fucking take this. And I bought five <laughs> gallons of that. I bought like painter pants that I never even fucking used. And, like I was just. Yeah, it was great, dude. It was awesome. And I got like fancy brushes and rollers that I didn't end up using also. But yeah, it, it was cool, man. They they really they were great to work with. Um, and I gave them a really good price in all fairness. You know what I mean? It was yeah, it's your alma mater, my, man. My old alma mater. So I was I was happy to do it. So like you were saying, what did you what were your main? Did you use like a two and a half inch? Did you did you stick to, you know, a few different so brushes? I used a, like a nine inch big heavy gap roll nap roller um mm -hmm. just because the the building's kind of itself is kind of old so the like the grouting in between the block was almost recessed back in i don't know from erosion or just or if that's just the way they did it but so like i would roll on my i rolled on i did that my whole grid with that tape 
And then I put white primer. I did my outline with spray paint, like the outline of where the shapes were going to be. And then I just rolled all that white primer on and had to go back through with like a big, just a cheap four inch brush. And I was almost like fucking jabbing into that grouting mm. to get it da- get it back in there because I couldn't even get paint to that grout. And a lot of it, I ended up having to spray paint. So even how- like the primer end of it, just to get it all covered in white before I could even start painting. So how did you, you know, it, there's a lot of depth to that uh, painting as well. How did you, you know, manage to get all that depth with just the paint? I Honestly, I did, I did 95% of that mural with a small four-inch roller. Um, I just kind of like I uh, basically I put my my tape up for my grid pattern and then I painted I did my outline of my shapes painted it all primer white and then I kind of just took my black paint with a little four inch roller and just kind of like I was saying for those three foot by three foot blocks I just kind of sculpted them in I started on the in the middle with the beak and the nostrils and then I moved over to if you're looking at the mural to the left panel which was the other eye and the wing extending out and i basically painted the middle and the whole left hand side and then i took a photograph of that and digitally in one of my programs just flipped that image and printed that out that way i was able to mirror it mirror it almost almost identically on both sides man that's you cool I mean? yeah so yeah it was uh it was a little bit of like old school painting and a little bit of new school technology and uh, a lot of rain and (laughs) (laughs) so did the rain really uh hinder you and and make you work long days uh to meet your deadline yeah i mean i was gonna have to work those hours anyways it just made it way less fun like i was they i think we settled on the design and went and picked out all the paint on that that previous thursday so I got started mapping everything out on that Saturday and it had to be done by the following Friday. So it was technically like five days, maybe 50 hours. But um, yeah, the rain didn't help at all. I would go up. I, I was fortunate the way that the wall is like when you would go all the way up to the top, that block actually kind of like bumped out on an angle. Okay. If that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, it was only maybe a foot or a foot and a half of actual overhang. But it was enough to where if it was raining, I wore my my fishing rain poncho and I had a I, I ended up like, so what I you guys will like this. So I'm up in this lift and it, I didn't mind getting wet, but the paint was getting wet and it was like making it a little bit too runny. Yeah. So I, so I went to my mom and dad's house who lived 10 minutes down the road, still in the house that I grew up in Austin town and raided my dad's garage. I, got, I ended up cutting like two pieces of PVC pipe about eight inches long. And then I, I duck, what I did was duct tape those pieces of PVC to each corner of the lift. And then I duct taped one of my dad's giant golfing umbrellas to a broom handle. <laughs> and so I would just, I would just pop that broom handle from corner to corner in the lift and slide it down into that PVC pipe. And it would, you know, where whatever area I was working on, that's where I would have the umbrella and it, it did the trick, man. <laughs> that's ingenuity at its finest. There it is, man. That's fishing ingenuity for sure. So mm-hmm. speaking of that, did I see your dad came out and helped you roll some paint for a day or two? He did. Yeah, he came out for um, for a couple hours the one day and helped me roll some paint on. He was he's actually my dad. He grew up in Austin Town. He's he's been on the board of education out there. He's coached every every sports team you can imagine out there. Everybody knows him. So it was like on the second day. 
I, there's so many people rolling through and honking and taking pictures. Like I knew it was going to end up being a really cool project. I was like, I got to get them up here for at least a couple hours, you know? That's awesome. And I see, yeah, it was great. And I also seen you put a little, like, you write a little something on every one of your murals. And I do. I was trying to put something that? little in there, whether it's just like a little <laughs> hidden image or a little note. And I, I wrote a note to my little, my little guy, my two year old Lewis, uh, all the way at the very top on the one block. And it's funny. I, I tried to take a picture from the ground to, to like zoom in to show my wife. And I, luckily I got a picture of it when I was up in the lift, but you can't even see it. Like it's so high up there, but yeah, I just wrote daddy loves you. Uh, Lou shine. And I put the year on it. That's cool, man. Hell yeah, it was yeah. great. That was my, that was the highlight of the mural for me for sure. <laughs> so, uh, are there any more murals in the, the future for you? Yeah. It's anytime you do one like that, it gets, it gets enough attention. Like this one fortunately did online. Like, five or six people will call you for one and w at least one will come out of those, you know, those five or six. Yeah. The rest of them will flake out. Yep. Big time. <laughs> did you get that? Did you look into that one day, today that you were going to look at? Or start? I looked at a couple. I've looked at a couple over the past couple of days. Um, they all seem promising. So we'll, we'll see. Yep. They all have their, you know, each one has their own challenges, whether it be permission from the city because of where it's located or permission from the landlord because they're renter, you know, they all, they all kind of have their like maybes and ifs, but like I said, something, something will definitely come out of it. One, one cool one will for sure. Heck yeah, man. Hey, we're definitely going to get some fishing talk, but you just uh, celebrated a anniversary an anniversary for your, yes, your, sir. your tattoo shop. Yeah, man. Six years at, at this particular location um, out here in downtown Warren. It was this past Friday, six years. I couldn't believe it. I like forgot because so much shit was going on. And it just like popped up on my memory on Facebook, one of my one of my pictures. And I was like, holy shit, six years, man. Yeah, man, that's cool. And uh, that was a pretty cool picture you posted, too. Yeah, that was that was a really nice surprise the first weekend we were open. Yeah, man. And it, it had you full dreadlocked up. Yeah, that was that was full dreadlock, no kid, barefoot, probably still drunk from the night before, like fun, fun version of me. <laughs> now we get the doll down dad version, huh? No, we we know fun, Aaron, because we were the fun boat on our last float. Uh, we were definitely the fun boat on the last trip. And the fun boat caught the big fish. Sure Dude, did. Fun boat kicked ass last trip, man. We had a blast. <laughs> that was good times. Speaking of that, when are we going to get you back out in the boat? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Sundays are kind of opened up a little bit, too. I know you guys do a lot of Sunday trips. So I could probably definitely hammer down on one of those. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> we got a good one in the day. Uh, we put a, about an 18-inch smallmouth in the boat, and uh, I didn't send you the pics just yet. And uh, I got one of them. Uh, they're uh, striped basses, too. Oh, you bastard. I'm still on my, my quest to get one. Let me guess, your dad <laughs> caught all the fish again today? He didn't go with me. I had a friend from Columbus come up, and uh, um, a younger fella I fished with, a f local guy. Um, I haven't fished with in a, you know, once this year so far, so I wanted to get him out on the boat oh, that's again. that's cool. He was the one who put the bigger smallmouth in the boat, so I was pumped. Nice. Yeah. So which one of those guys took my spot? Justin. <laughs> right? <laughs> because Jay told me on – or he called me on Friday. He said, I want to do a float on Sunday. I said, I'm in. And then my wife ended up making plans. We had plans and they got canceled, but then they reappeared. And I had to. I don't know, man, Chad. I'm starting to see a, a little pattern with this making Sunday fishing plans. And then you cancel them because your wife made plans for you. I know it happens. <laughs> Trust me. I'm starting to realize that brother. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, we got some cooler temperatures coming 
it looks like starting Thank this week. God, dude. So uh that trout might be back in a back in session. Yeah, I'm hoping if we get enough rain it cools down enough, maybe on Wednesday I might try to scoot somewhere, but I don't know. It depends just depends. I won't fish for trout if it's over sixty seven. Got a nice little uh I took a nice little walk for some trout not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago when we had all that high water and cool uh, temperatures. Uh, nice little cool spot. I might be able to, you know, let you know where it's at so you could take that walk too. It was really, really help beautiful. A, help a brother out, man. I'm I'm kind of limited on spots when it when it gets this warm. This was a good one, so sweet, man. So you know your secrets are safe with me. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you done a uh, fishing or outdoor related tattoos recently? Mm, negative. Uh, you did a walleye. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. About a month ago, I did a pretty cool walleye. It was it was really fun, dude. I t- you talk about challenging. Try to like figure out the colors of a walleye with <laughs> with like water reflecting off of it. So what is it? Is it like gold and brown? Is that's there's what like w- there's way more coppers than you would think, but you have to then go over those coppers with like a golden yellow, and that's all laid over like a gray tone. It's it was it was really really intense. I'm glad that I hadn't ever tried one before. You know, I've been tattooing long enough now that I was confident that I you know I could mix my colors together correctly. But I definitely wouldn't recommend it for anyone that's been t- just started out tattooing. It was super super tricky. <laughs> You'd probably come out looking like Big Bird if you didn't have the experience, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. That was definitely an easy one to fuck up for sure. Uh, I know <clears throat> dad's been getting some ideas in his head. I know he's going to get be getting a hold of you soon and trying to get lined up here soon. To, I, know, I can't wait to tattoo him, man. I know he wants to get a, it's going to be a brown trout. So you're going to have a cool brown oh, trout. I think he wants it coming it. up, maybe eating, my a, favorite. eating a fly or something. So, you know, you have to kick some ideas back and forth. I gave him your number to get a hold of you. So he should be in touch I look soon. Forward, I look forward to tattooing the old man for sure. Awesome. He's, he's, he's pumped. Is, uh, is there anything that we haven't hit on that you've been doing recently, Aaron? Um, I got a little secret project that I just started in the basement. Actually, I just started last week. There probably, probably won't show anything for it for at least a year, but I kind of am planning out maybe my next art show or at least my next series of paintings. I'm going really, really off my traditional pattern of what I normally paint and draw. And I'm, I'm doing a whole series of like classic Americana Westerns. That's cool. Yeah, I'm like, I'm so stoked about it. I don't really know where it came from, but I don't know. I've just been listening to some different music and kind of doing a couple different things, and it just popped into my head. So I, like I normally do for art shows, I kind of start doing a little research, and then it really piqued my interest, and I found some cool stories to play off of. And, yeah, I think you guys are really going to like it. And speaking of that, um, what was it? Last winter you did a series, a couple, uh, like a brown trout and a rainbow trout. Have Yeah. Have I, you done yeah, anything with those? I, they're actually. What's that? I said, have you done anything with those? or? So the brown trout, I ended up giving to my dad for Christmas because he's like, in my whole lifetime, never showed so much interest in a particular piece. And he was just like all over it. So I ended up surprising him and giving it to him. I'm glad it did because he surprised me with, he started making rods. So he ended up making me a, a split bamboo fly rod. No way. Awesome. Yeah, dude. So it was like an awesome exchange that neither of us knew were coming. And like my, I didn't tell my <laughs> wife that I was giving it to him and my mom didn't know about the, so it was just really cool. Um, so that's where the brown trout went. Uh, the rainbow trout and the two trout skins went down to Nishana Creek. 
down in Valant. Okay. And Mark, the owner, about maybe three or four months ago, he took the trout skin. So the rainbow trout's still down there, and there's a blank wall space that I'm hoping within the next two weeks to have it filled with something new down there. Cool, man. Uh, yep. I was at your shop oh, getting a, the Christmas gift for my wife, and yep. you have another trout a trout looking painting in there as well too right going up the steps i think i have like two or three that are um they're older but yeah they're just like close-up macro shots of like trout skins yeah it's like you wouldn't know what it was if you weren't a big time fisherman yeah they were definitely meant to be a little bit more like abstracty surreal kind of just takes on skins yeah like more appeal to the masses i think for sure yeah like like you said like if you didn't know like I think the one I ended up selling to a Karen type lady for like three, <laughs> 300 bucks. And she's like, I just painted my living room that exact color green. And I was like, yeah, that would look great in there. <laughs> so Karen you just type. never know, man. That, oh, that was that's great. freaking awesome. That was funny. Do you have any trips coming up planned? Uh, anything? Or you guys just stay- I was actually supposed to go. Um, what was it? In at the end of October, uh, that my buddy Jeff Blood, the steelhead guru, my yeah. like my my mentor guy, he uh, he's going out there. He just came out with his line of saltwater rods, and he's going out there some kind of vendor show. So he was like, "We'll go out. We'll fly out. I'll pay for everything. We'll get a sweet Airbnb, and we'll do a two day float before." And I'm like all amped up about it, and I'm just like building up my courage to tell my wife. <laughs> and I forgot I had just booked a trip, a camping trip with the RV for us. Oh, jeez! Same exact week. So Bastard. yeah, that's I'm going camping instead with the family. Okay, it, it, yeah, you know, it'll, it'll be, be awesome. You'll, you'll probably hook another musky on an ultralight. I really, I really hope that I'm a little <laughs> bit more prepared this time. Hey, Fucking save a, things. save a, save a date for the weekend, uh, second weekend in November. I'm gonna be doing our annual up to the Niagara River, and you're more than welcome. Oh, okay, to come yeah, I would out. love to do that, dude. Um, because usually in November I try to do an oak orchard trip, and I'm definitely not doing that this year. So I was trying to hopefully find something else cool to do around then. Yeah, more than welcome to come up, hang out, and that's a fun place to fish. It's 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 oh, it's tough. It's very tough, but it it's rewarding. Would you guys go up for like the weekend or something? I usually do like three days. You normally okay, go great. like Thursday to Sunday, right? Yeah, usually something like Thursday awesome. to Sunday. So I definitely do that, man. No, Thursday's Thanksgiving. You normally go Friday to Sunday. I'm doing weeks earlier because I'm hunting during the after Thanksgiving. I'm going to be hunting that weekend. So yeah. I second week I think is a little better than a little later because. The weather's not quite as bad. A little earlier. Yeah, earlier. We ran into some real bad weather uh, a couple Thanksgivings ago. You think you were with us? Last year was bad. We had the ice storm. <laughs> that was two years ago. Too, dude, it's horrible. It was last year because I thought I had COVID. No, it was two years ago because last year you didn't end up going because I was with um, PJ was there. You're right. Yeah, it was two years ago. But either way, yeah, it was one inch of ice. While we were on the river, it was pretty bad. But I like a little earlier. I think it's a little easier to fish, and you can find some better weather. Yeah, man, definitely let me know for sure. I, I would be in on that. Have you uh, have you got a chance to fish that split bamboo rod your dad made? Oh, dude, I took it out like the day after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, dude, it's so nice. I call it Wonder Boy. Did you ever see that movie, The Natural, where his dad makes him the uh, baseball bat out of the tree that got struck by lightning in their front yard? No. Oh, dude, it's like a Robert Redford flick. Great movie, dude. Look, watch The Natural. You would love that movie. All right. We just had a baseball like marathon last week with my son. Dude, watch it with your son. It's like a father-son, baseball-y, 
Oh yeah, good good watch, man. Okay. So, anyways, the bat he calls Wonder Boy in the movie, so I named it Wonder Boy. But yeah, I just took it last week too. I did a little dry fly fishing with it. It was really really fun. And that's small or uh, trout only. You won't take that on a smallmouth float throwing ants and stuff. No, it's it's. I'm I'm nervous even walking through the woods with it, dude. You got to see me. It's like it's horrible. <laughs> it's I'm like you're so hunting nervous Bigfoot. with it. I like I, I didn't put it. I put it together like standing in the river. I didn't even want to walk through the woods with it. What what weight was it? It's a it's a little three weight. That's awesome. Oh, it's so nice, dude. It's 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 unbelievable. It really is. Like I said, it's, it's too nice. It's like having a Lamborghini, you know, I would never drive the fucking thing. We'd just sit in a garage the whole time. <laughs> Has he built more since then? Oh, he builds a ton of rods, man. Uh, very, not as many fly rods. My dad's always been kind of a spinning guy. He's a walleye guy and a bass guy, but uh, I'll send you guys some pictures. He does some unbelievably intricate, gorgeous, gorgeous designs. Awesome. What gorgeous with like the thread wraps and stuff. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, he just started doing one. I forget what the hell it's even called. It's like an illusion wrap. So it like almost, almost looks like it fades from a, a number of different colors into each other. That's cool. It's, it's bizarre. He was, and I'm pretty good and pretty, pretty artsy man, but he was showing me and explaining how he does it. And I was like, fucking lost man. No <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Another thing I was going to say, hey, next couple, I know it's going to only be brown for probably another month, but if you get a little bit of time, we can get away from the hybrids and maybe go uh, put you on a bowfin. I've been having a lot of fun doing that, too. So, Yeah, definitely. I, you know how I am, though, man. I got my that one-track mind. If it ain't trout, I'm going for that fucking stripe. I got to break this curse <laughs> before the year's over. Well, September's the best month, I, always, I think. The big ones start eating in September, so. Okay, cool. We'll That's do great then. news, then. September. I had that one, man. I had that one. September and April. You know, and I'm not gonna, I'm not critiquing you on anything, but put your damn phone down. <laughs> Don't re- worry about recording your drag going off and go chase that fish down the river. Broski, it's not worth it unless I got a fucking video out of it. <laughs> uh, it was kind of fish, what kind of fisherman are you, dude? You got to have pictures and videos to prove that you're cool. It was totally worth it for me sitting in my toolbox. It's like, oh, he got one, he got one. Oh, it got off. <laughs> well, the best is when it came off, I was almost like, all right, guys, I'm going to go land this big bastard. But no, I uh, I couldn't couldn't restrain myself. I was heartbroken, dude. Devastated. I was, it was so fucking hot that day. I fished for like nine hours, man. What, um, did it, how did it come off? Did it just pull the fly or did it actually break you off or what happened? It, it had to be a bad knock because it was piggy tailed. I was, I was devastated, dude. I, I don't know, man. Cause I, I don't know. It, it seemed like a good knot. I fished it all day long. I landed 20 other fish on it, never had an issue. And then that it, he was a big fish, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Was, I mean, it was it was unbelievable the way that it just took me right right to my backing, like instantly. Like now. Yeah. Oh, my. I looked down and I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is that? <laughs> they will definitely exploit any imperfection you have. They'll find your weak point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep, no doubt. No doubt. It. it I, that's what I told myself the whole way home is like it found your kink in your armor, man. You got to just tighten it up. Yep. Next time, learn some uh, learn some tarpon knots. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn my knots, and I'm definitely not gonna record anything until I, I land the fucking thing. <laughs> Till the fish is in the net. Yep. So, alrighty, man. Well, hey, we're gonna get rolling. We got another guest coming on. 
I just want to say hi, say thank you for uh, for doing that for Austin Town Fitch, and uh, absolutely. And um, us and also, time. I didn't I didn't know that I was opening for someone. I would have never agreed to that. I'm the closer, guys. Let's get, <laughs> no. this, let's get this fucking right next time. <laughs> well, you didn't send your you didn't send your rider in in time. Oh, I love it. All right, guys. Well, yeah. Let me know about fishing, man. I'd love to get out with you guys, float or river, whatever we got to do. Heck yeah, sounds man. good, man. Yeah, I still have your Yeti. Yeah, I, I was looking at that Clearwater uh, case, too. It's in my garage. It's still there. <laughs> All right, trade back next time. All right, sounds good, buddy. Later, man. All right, guys, late. All right, man. I love having Aaron on. That dude's awesome. Yeah, he's such a good time. Great time to have out on the boat, too. So we did a trip to uh, the Buffalo, Western New York area like three or four weeks ago. And last time I recorded with my son, I told him, I told everyone listening that we would talk about it next time one of the dudes is in studio. But uh, none of the dudes have been in studio until now. Absolutely, man. I had a good time up there. I did, too. I had a blast. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have as much fun as Jace. No. <laughs> well, the ride up, you know. It was a Friday night, and Jason and I <laughs> decided that, oh, hey, Chad's driving. <laughs> Roadies all the way. <clears throat> That's the last time I got good and drunk, too. I haven't been drunk since that night. <laughs> Jace is still hungover. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we get up there. and Wait, we got up there 15 pisses later. Oh, yeah. Jace had to stop 15 times to pee. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. We turned it into four hours because we had to piss every 35 minutes. We did. He had a bladder the size of a walnut. <laughs> oh, that was great. Uh, you know, the three of us haven't haven't done that, and it's fucking forever if ever. Yeah. You know, not in a long time. And, you know, even steal trips when we were kids and stuff like that, all hanging out and doing that. We haven't been on a trip, the three of us, and, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. We get up to Ryan's house, the new house, and... You know, he's been working on that, and and he's a, kind enough to put us up for the weekend. Oh, absolutely! Brand new couch they just got. It was awesome to sleep on. And they let you and Jace defile it <laughs> yeah. with farts like I just ripped. Yeah. Oh man, awesome garden, man. They they man, beautiful garden in the backyard. We seen deer out in the field. We saw hundreds of deer. It seemed like yeah, even a hundreds, but they were standing ten, there for tens of deer. Yeah, they were standing there forever. It felt like a hundred. We get up there, and, you know, Jace and I are just obliviated at this point, drinking Trulies the whole way. The Truly fruit punches. You know, <laughs> in retrospect, they are very sugary, and, you know, I, I, I like I like them because they have more, a little more flavor than the other ones, but, man, they were rough the next day, that's for sure. <laughs> Jace wakes up the next—well, we were—not to mention me, him, and Ryan. Chad went to sleep. Ryan and Jace and I, we sit up, and we're being loud. Ryan has to yell at us 600 times, lower your voices. Yeah, he said it was like he was a circus uh, ring, le or ring leader yeah. from a circus. Guys, be quiet. Guys, be quiet. Keep it down. He said it's the only reason he stayed up is to keep you guys under control so he didn't get, uh, drive his neighbors nuts. Oh, man. Oh, and then we wake up the next morning, and Jace did not want to move. Oh, but he drank a warm cup of coffee. And then what? And then it came right back up as warm as when it went down. He said that is the grossest feeling ever. But you know what? 
We have video proof of this all happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think you posted the picture of him sleeping on the side of the bank, right? I did post that picture. I didn't post the video of him throwing up. I, I figured I'd show a little sympathy on him. <laughs> Ryan was kind enough to show us some locals, let us meet some local fish. He wanted, you know, Chad had a goal of... I want to get your fish on a dry fly. Mm-hmm. And it happened. It did. <clears throat> we At first, we had... We didn't catch any fish on the main big stream, and then Ryan says, hey, there's... There's a tributary right here. Yeah, it's got browns and rainbows, wild rainbows in it, and uh like, oh, yeah, we'll walk up there. That sounds Heck great. Yeah. I, I, You two were a little bit behind me. Yeah, we were... Uh, I had a spool line that said 5X, and we were looking at it, and Ryan's like, this is a lot thicker than my 5X. And I was like, I know why, because I took six-pound test and just wound it on this spool. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this won't work. <laughs> so me, like the dirty guy I am, I was fishing under an indicator with a nymph and a woolly bugger, like I love to. So I walked up above you guys a little bit, and there was a log jam. There was no way you're getting a dry fly in there. No. So I, I just dunked this that woolly bugger down into the log jam. Pop, 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 pop. Pulled it out. It was cool. It was an awesome meet. This little brown trout comes out. I don't know if he saw me and kind of got scared or, or got, and I popped it a couple more times and he, and then he didn't care <laughs> that, or he was taking the right angle to maul something. Cause he kind of, he came out, kind of went to the right away from me and turned right back around and T-bone this little woolly bugger, you know, <laughs> he wanted to get a running start. Wow. It was awesome. It was awesome. He ate like crazy. I, you know, was yelling, Oh yeah, I got one. You know, Jace comes running up there. You son of a bitch. As <laughs> fast as Jace could run at that current time. <laughs> yeah. A slow snail's pace. <laughs> so he came up, you know, got, got a little picture of a beautiful. That was man, that fish was blue. Yeah, that like, was a pretty fish. Yeah, it was gorgeous. So a little wild brown for me, and then I tried to cut Chad off, and I got yelled at by Ryan. Get your goddamn bobber out of there! Get that goddamn bobber out of there! Gonna catch a fish on a dry fly. So go and, ahead, Chad. And the way it was, and I had a little bit of an audience. I had to, I had to make a nice cast for to get a perfect drift and to not hear us. And it happened. I made one cast up there, dry fly, land, boom. And, you know, we're saying this. People do this every day. It's not something we do every day. You know what I mean? Hmm. So, boom. And it came. It was coming. Like, there's like a concrete barrier with a big cut in the middle of the concrete barrier. And as soon as that fly came past the, that cut, a trout came missling out from what looked, it looked like he was sitting in the cut of that concrete barrier. It just demolished that fly. He definitely didn't sip it. No. <laughs> it was a, a big splashy rise if you're a brook trout fishing. That's what you call it. But, yeah, it was cool. It That made my weekend. After that, I was like, oh, I don't care if I catch another fish. I don't care if I make another cast. But we ended up... Wait, you caught one more fish from that same spot. We walked up further. I missed I missed one that came out. I run in a hopper dropper at that point right down a log. Um, and I made one one cast. It wasn't wasn't quite right. Came down through, took a couple more steps, kind of repositioned myself. Another cast comes right down the edge of that log, and fish. Came, I watched him come out, eat. Just is what it yeah, is. Yeah, didn't didn't connect with them, but it was cool to see another fish. And then we were surprisingly enough, we were walking back down, and I'm just you know throwing my hopper dropper out there. What was funny is I was like. It was you walking up front, and then I think Jace, and then me. 
and I was making the most ruckus because I was like, oh, yes, this is fucking stupid. We just caught a fish there, and I, I like slammed my feet a couple times, made a little bit extra mud. And when it came down past, that's when that little rainbow hit. Yeah, I just <laughs> I was just I was walking and just flopping my you know hopper dropper out there, same spot that Chad caught that other the brown trout, and boom, little little uh, wild rainbow came out and. I didn't thought it was honestly at first it was it was very small like we're talking probably three like the size inches. of your pointer finger yeah and uh, you know I thought it was a creek chub at first or something you know I popped it up out of the water I'm like ah it was you know I'm picking it up it you know runs a no 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 put it back put it back and I'm like oh I put it back down in the water and so I, like I said I thought it was a creek chub or a little shiner or something at first but yeah it was cool it was beautiful little fish and you know cool to see we don't really have those around where we live so i mean you got to travel a little way to find a wild rainbow yeah man and then we left fishing and we went and uh, checked out the fly shop it was awesome it was so if anyone's in springville man look up queen city guiding it, it offers all kinds of different things i'm sure you can go online and find it i mean canoe rental or kayak rentals right wasn't it and they were like a, I thought that's what he saw said on the if you look at the pictures on his instagram it, there's a signage that he just he had put up and i think he's doing like um He'll pick up and take, you know, people. Oh, like shuttle. Shuttles and stuff, yeah. So, a lot of different things he offers. Guided trips. There was, I got some material while I was there for a couple flies for the hybrids, for some changers, and some of those, uh, I think they're called, are they scud weights, or what the fuck are those yeah, things called? The yeah, the scud weights. Yeah, scud weights. They fit for, right in the bend of your hook. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it just saves time, and not having to wrap it and everything with the... Uh, lead wire so i liked them they worked well killed the fly right a little easier way to go yeah it's and you don't have to worry about sliding a bead over if your barb's too big or something you know yep. so that was nice that was great we love the hospitality all oh, the roadside barbecue that he put us on oh that was killer that was a highlight for you full hard <laughs> food <laughs> so man well hey we should get going and give uh mike a call yeah who Explain who's coming on real quick, right before we call him. Uh, we got a buddy of ours. I've fished with him before. His name's Mike Telemark. Or, yeah, Telemark. And uh, if you look him up, he's Tran, uh, Transal Tr Waiter. Transal Waiter on Instagram. Uh, he was a Drake dude. I met him way back. Uh, and he's been doing a lot of uh, traveling and fishing for Pune Trout. Yeah, he does a lot of brookie fishing in his area. He likes Bessies as well. He likes his bass in the summertime, like right now, when you're not fishing your trout. And Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that trip out west. Yeah, man. He, uh, he did... He had a pretty cool feat. Mm -hmm. So we'll, uh, we'll get to talk about that when we come back. And we are back with Mike Telemarks. What's happening, Mike? I'm doing good, Chad. Hope you are. Oh, I'm doing well. I'm talking to you, man. Can't get any better. So uh, finally got me on the phone, uh, a little bit of an introduction. Uh, originally from Cape Town, South Africa, moved to the States after I graduated college, lived in Maryland for seven years, moved on to North Carolina in 2006, been here 15 years. I am a stormwater engineer by trade, a wannabe pinball wizard at my time, <laughs> and I do a little fly fishing on the side. So it's a little bit of a mix of outdoor, indoor, and uh, a little bit of beer drinking for, for good measure. What part of Maryland did you live in? On uh, the Plata. It's in Charles County. It's right on the Potomac River in the southern part, border okay. on uh, Virginia. Okay. I'm going to the Delmarva Peninsula in uh, 
the end of October. For some striped bass action, that sounds epic. That's yeah. perfect time of the year too. Yep, man. They they always say it's Rocktober, so we gotta go catch there some rockfish. Did uh, did you enjoy any rock fishing while you were down there? Uh, we took a couple of charters up to the Susquehanna Flats. I'm not going to be specific, but yeah. yeah, those fish are enormous. Um, I didn't have a 10 weight at the time. I tried to take an 8 weight to one, and it ended up in pieces. So <laughs> that was something I, I should revisit with the proper weapon, so to speak. So yeah, um, did a little bit of uh, striper fishing in uh, Delaware on the Indian River. There's Indian River Inlet. There's yeah. some there's good fishing to be had up there. But that was more surfing, though. That we we try to time it so that there was either a system coming up the coast while there were waves. But you know, in between, I'd, I'd throw a line here and there and get lucky and catch the the striper, as they call them, rockfish. Are you still doing any surfing? Uh, not anymore. Not since my little mishap in Hawaii in 2019. I uh, got sent back to the mainland with my tail between my legs. That was a a rather uh, unannounced and uh, pretty pretty um, you know. Career-ending injury. I broke my shoulder at uh, backdoor, which is the right hander that comes off of pipeline at Ayukai Beach Park, and you know, just kind of puts things in perspective. You're not you're not as big as as the ocean, so I I, I may be caught on a boogie board in the summertime, kind of getting a bit thicker. You know, you don't want to you know chance your luck with those kinds of things. So yeah, I mean, no, and, no doubt. And none of us are getting any younger. Exactly. You did a you did a fair amount of surfing when you were in Cape Town, correct? Yeah, uh, we well, my parents had a beach house uh, on the Atlantic Ocean, and we just had you know there was a lot of waves. As we we don't have a continental shelf, and we just have these enormous swells coming from the Antarctic, you know, the Southern Atlantic. They call it an area of that the the Roaring Forties. You got winds that are in that range of speed the whole time, just turning up a lot of storms. And more often than not, there would be waves that were three meters or better. And from a young age, I got the luxury to surf, you know, in really big, naughty conditions. Um, you want to get into any, let's get into some of your local fishing before we talk about your epic trip out west. You know, what do you do locally and what's, what's, your, what's your passion? Um, locally, like I said, you know, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we're two hours away from the coast, three hours away from the mountains. Just have a plethora of fishing opportunities just locally. Lots of rivers, lots of ponds, uh, lots of lakes. Predominantly largemouth bass fishing. We might get into a gar here or there, some bowfin. Um, in the winter months, we have a phenomenal uh, crappy fishery. And um, a lot of the times, you know, you'll see the guys out there uh, using gear. They'll just empty out a tree, but we got some, you know, black and white crap you get upwards of two to three pounds. Um, and then in the summertime, depending on how many um, how many storm systems come through, we do a lot of surf fly fishing for red drum. And that can get really good in the fall. Is that the only species that's uh, really targetable in the surf? No. So we get lots of Spanish mackerel, especially in the months of May and June. Uh, occasionally there will be bluefish. And then as it starts to really cool down, we'll get a ton of sea trout, especially in the surf side. Okay. Uh, you know, we've caught everything from flounder, ladyfish. Um, some kid was messing around on the pier over at uh, Bogue Inlet and caught a tarpon, I want to say, about three weeks ago. It was probably about 80 pounds. But, really? yeah, unfortunately, the, didn't live to tell the tale. It was just handled badly. They used one of those uh, dip nets or whatever they call it to retrieve it. And then by the time they, they were done with the photos, the fish was dead. 
So that was a little unfortunate. But they just spoke about that on the Bent podcast, I think. Oh yeah, I think that one. Because yep. it's not against a lot of kill tarpon in North Carolina, correct? Hmm. Well, we do have them. You know, Ballhead Island, it kind of sticks out. It's it's closer to South Carolina than it is to, say, Emerald Isle, which is closer to Cape Hatteras. Up, upstate's kind of a, a rectangle that kind of protrudes down to a point where Myrtle Beach is right there. And you've got Holden Beach. The Cape Fear River comes out towards Wilmington. There's a lot of warmer water there. I guess the Gulf Stream that comes up from Florida, that's where we get a lot of the tropical species like the mahi-mahi, you know, the yeah. – um, what else is it? There's a, there's a lot of cobia that comes up here in, you know, say April or May. So there's definitely targetable species that aren't, you know, they're not local for the, the entire year. Whereas a red drum's pretty much, I think it's our state fish for saltwater and then a brook trout's our freshwater fish. But um, I think redfish is prob- probably the most sought after and targeted fish in our state just because we do have the luxury to get them offshore when they, when you know, the bulls are running in the fall to spawn they'll just get these football-sized uh, schools of them, and you can just see, you know, two, 3,000 of them, and they're all 40-plus pounds. <laughs> and I'd oh. um, love to get into that. And then, of course, our false albacore fishery in the fall is phenomenal, too. That's good fun. As soon as these guys hit the flats into your backing, and uh, just hold on. It's, it's, it's awesome. And are you using the same techniques there as, like, the dudes in, uh, up in New York and Connecticut do for the, uh, the false albies? Just like surf. I guess so, you know, and, and believe it or not, you know, these fish can be extremely picky sometimes. I mean, especially the, the false albies or the bonitos. So, you know, we usually pull up to a school of fish and someone will take a, a net and see exactly what it is. So, I mean, you know, my good friend of I, uh, the, my good friend David and I, he's he's the tire. I can't see where it's, I can't, I'm blind as a bat, so he does all the tying. But what I do is I tell him to get them in, you know, size two, size four, size eight, like just have that whole range in different colors. More than likely, they're targeting uh, glass minnows. And if you so much as get it, you know, if it's not the exact size, they just will not eat it. And then sometimes you can throw anything at them and then they'll just eat it. It's just, it, it, it's all contingent on what's available and how much food's out there. But um, yeah, you'll, you'll go out there and you'll see people being yahoos. The guy will just come up to the school and drive right through the school while people are hooked up and there's obscenities thrown and people's feelings getting hurt. But yeah, it's, it's all fun when you get back to the dock too. Then there's a couple of these punch ups and fist fights, not as dramatic as what you see up on the, in the rust belt area. <laughs> You'll get Russians drowning people. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, like I was saying, the, the, the fishing in the fall is probably the best time of the year in the salt water. And then, you know, I like to try to get out before the brook trout are spawning and, those high elevation mountain streams because the colors that those fish get to is just phenomenal. They look like they're headed to the carnival in their Sunday best. It's just fantastic. Oh yeah, man. They're on fire. They're just beautiful. And how often do you get out to, I mean, how often will you get out to do that with being a little bit of a drive? You get out there as often Um, as you can? To Asheville from Raleigh is around three and a half hours. I I try to do it in, you know, three just so I can get that extra half hour. I like to drive (laughs) at nighttime. I'm one of these crazies that tries to, squeezing as much daylight hours into fishing because, you know, you never know how long that hike's going to be or how further you want to end up on a, on a particular drainage. Uh, the nice thing is having that Blue Ridge Parkway. I mean, it's really at the top of the mountain, and it's called Blue Line. It's called Blue Ridge Jumping, where you're basically fishing. You're walking down, fishing up and out. So that helps you not have to be beat up by the time you get to the spot. I mean, it's all downhill, but then you figure you got to walk back out. 
Um, depending on where I go, it might be a five-hour drive for Raleigh, but I've got good friends that have a place in Balsam Grove, which is really close to um, Brevard, which is the capital of Transylvania County. Yeah. And that's exactly where I ended up getting my handle on Instagram. Close friends of mine saw the Gazetteer for North Carolina open on pages 52 and 53, and they saw all the creeks marked, or they had a little you know, insignia. It was marked with pink for rainbows, uh, yellow for browns, green for brook trout. They're like, what's all these things? I'm like, those are all the creeks that I've fished. And my buddy Tom's like, holy Christ, that's like every creek in the, in the county you transfer waiter. So like, that's <laughs> cool. So it's stuck for about 15 years. <laughs> and Brevard, uh, TX lives down there, right? Scott Graham? Uh, I want to say he's in Panama. Oh, did he move? He and uh, Melissa bought a, I want to say they bought an island somewhere off the coast of Panama. But yeah, he was in Brevard briefly. Um, he's close friends with Alan Broyhill yeah. and Chris Franzen. He was up in, I want to say it was a little town in Burnsville area called Ramsey Town. I think it's Mitchell County. But uh, I met him through the Drake probably about 10 years ago, and we had a big bake up there. I think it was the ooh, Western WNC bake. And that's where I think Kyle McInturff got back in the picture and whatnot. And there was probably about 30 of us there, and it was just fun times, laughs, lots of beer, lots of fishing, just good, good group of guys. So you and you and myself met at a bake. Can can you describe the people that don't know what the Drake is? What what a bake yeah. is? So you know, it's it's one of those things. My ex wife used to rag on me. She's like, "Is this your little segue to doing your Brokeback Mountain experience?" <laughs> well, you know, it kind of does sound a little suspicious. Where you're driving to a different state and you're meeting guys for the first time that you've never so much as met in the flesh. Well, it's more of a band of brothers. I think people with the whole fly fishing mindset, they just have that. They have that existential experience and they have that that personality that just gels with one another i mean i'm yet to i'm yet to meet an asshole from the drake i'm sure they're out there but thankfully they don't show up at the banks i'm sure some people think i'm the biggest asshole but hey what your opinion is of me that's your business kind of thing well there's that one uh, dude i i never met him but they wasn't he referred to as ftg uh, the gentleman from ozarks yeah uh, i think that was at the white river bank yeah i heard all about that that was quite uh Quite a quite a quite an experience. I wasn't at that bake, but I heard all about it, and I couldn't stop laughing. That was just classic. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anyone wants to uh, join the Drake, yeah, tough crowd for sure. I mean, it's, I don't think it's anything of a former shadow of its of itself back in the day. You know, I, when I joined was probably back in two thousand and nine. There was just a lot more communication, people putting up posts, good quality content. Now, it's kind of you know, I think social media is kind of done its rounds it's it's lost its appeal now it's becoming more of a a cesspool of you know trolling and getting under people's skin just unnecessary you know banter and whatnot but i think for the most part a lot of the original crew they don't even go on the drake anymore but we still stay in contact in that sense because just this past trip that i did out west i was in touch with at least five or six of my close friends that live out west and they, they really helped make this happen for me well that's a great segue into your trip out west, uh, what went into planning that? I mean, did, I know you drove out and, you know, put a million miles on your car or your SUV. You know, what? how many years went into planning that trip to go out and, you know, finding places where you would find the fish you wanted to catch? So since about 2010, I've tried to make, I've tried to make a habit of getting out west at least once a year. So that's been kind of the 
the grounds, you know, the stepping stones to making this trip, you know, the once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm planning on doing the, le- the rest of the leg next year, which is going to be California, Oregon, Washington, uh, parts of Canada and Alaska to finish out all 20 native species. Cause I managed, I managed 12 this time. So I've got eight to go, which there's one in particular, and I'll get to that a little, a little later that, uh, Depending on whether there's fires, I might not get to. It might not be something that's achievable in this lifetime, just given that they're in peril and the numbers of them in these, uh, they call them um, reservation creeks, where there aren't fish in there, but they're basically so remote and so far away from the prying eyes of the public that they figure that's a good place to keep these fish as rebound uh, populations to repopulate in the event that they get extirpated in the particular drainage that they're native to. So um, yeah, coming back to the the trip. So I spent probably the best part of about four months earlier this year. So from about January through April, just going over maps, talking to people, uh, Western Native Trout Initiative, give them a check out. They're on Instagram. Uh, they collaborate a lot with uh, Rep Your Water. They do the, you know, the by state hats, really, really good uh, conservation group, uh, really getting the public's attention and awareness to, um, you know, the plights of these fish. A lot of people, could give a hoot about a fish being native or whether it's, you know, a stalker. They just want that instant gratification of getting to a river, pulling the car up, casting a rod and catching a 10 pound rainbow. That's all they care about. Whereas I'm the crazy guy that wants to hike 10 miles into bear infested backcountry to catch a five inch fish because I know it's been there for hundreds and billions of years. So different crowd, different, you know, different sentiment. But um, so just look, looking over the maps, there's a lot of interactive maps that each of the Western states have, and they'll basically tell you what species of trout are in a particular drainage. So that helps along the way. Um, you know, two states in particular, Utah, currently running what's called the Utah Cut Slam, where you get the paperwork to them. They'll send you basically a map of all of, all the drainages where, you know, either it's a Bonneville, a Bear River, a Colorado River, or a Yellowstone cutthroat trout, color-coded maps, easy access, just to kind of help you along. You complete that, you get a certificate, a little badge. My girlfriend's giving me hell about it. She's like, is that your little, like, uh, you know, your participation badge? You can wear it to work. <laughs> 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 Which I probably will. <laughs> nah, all jokes aside. So um, that, was, that was instrumental in making it happen for me, for sure. You know, just being able to have access to those resources, a lot of scientific data. You know, New Mexico has a great uh, website on their Department of Game and Fish that goes directly into all the research that's being done, especially for the Rio Grande cutthroat trout. Now, there's three different subspecies of the Rio Grande cutthroat. There's the Canadian drainage, the Pecos River drainage, and then the Rio Grande River drainage. And they're each unique in the sense that it's kind of like a brook trout. You've got Arctic char, you've got Dolly Varden, you've got bull trout. They all kind of look similar, but they're general the, the the lineage of the genus is off of one branch it's mm-hmm. kind of like a charlie brown tree but I, ultimately they're all related in one sense and it's it's interesting to find that there's the potential that a rio grande was once native to texas way back in the day before humans destroyed the countryside kind of thing so they're still doing all the research to determine whether that is the case or not but um yeah so the this time around i wanted to get a pecos rivet strain cutthroat trout, uh, Rio Grande cutthroat, and the hike back in there, I'll, I'll be lying to say to you that that was probably the stupidest thing I could have done. <laughs> I had just driven 3,200 miles 
probably got about five hours of sleep and did a 10-mile hike into the headwaters of the Pecos River, which is sitting at around, I don't know, I think I started at 9,000 feet elevation and finished at about 10 and a half. Um, didn't have any oxygen tank, didn't have any breakfast, but I just figured, you know what? If you drop dead, at least you can say you died trying. Did, <laughs> but I, um, it I was totally you... worth it, and the bugs up there are just brutal. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to carry EpiPens with me because I'm highly allergic to bee stings. It's, it's got to do with being stung by bees in South Africa and then by yellow jackets here. So, and as soon as I get to where the fishing spot is, you know, it, there's, a, there's a yellow jacket hole in the ground. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, this is just going to be the obstacle of, of exactly what I need. Scratching through my fish pond pack, no EpiPen to be found. I'm like, oh, this is, this is, this no is perfect. But um, trucked on, got the fish, got the hell out of there. It was July 4th. Said my piece, had a couple beers, drove back down the road, and uh, just crashed out at a hotel, which I'll get into in a minute. That was that was probably one of the most interesting things I've ever encountered. Uh, I... But coming back to the whole lay of New Mexico, so I got to Santa Rosa. Uh, that was my first night that I stayed. Like I drove, whew, I want to say, 19 and a half hours from Raleigh, and then I made it to Amarillo in Texas. That was my first leg of the journey. I stayed the night there. I think I got four hours of sleep. You should have seen this place. It looks it looked like something out of a Rob Zombie horror movie. <laughs> and I was just expecting to see someone laid out on the bed with a hypodermic needle in their arm. It was it was that sketch. And shower curtains just in tip top condition, black mold like I've never seen before. It was it was epic. So I I, I probably got about three hours of sleep before I'm like, you know what? Let, before the bed bugs show up, why don't you get up? and get out of here <laughs> grabbed a couple of red bull got on the road and before i knew it i was in new mexico and uh getting ready to get up to the pecos wilderness which which helped me because it's not too far from where i had to you know where i began the trip so that was a 27 hour journey from raleigh to uh santa fe and uh I don't know if you were following it on uh, on Facebook. I've got a couple of friends in the law enforcement agency, and they said to me, you lucky that's not going to be used against you because I was probably doing a good 25, maybe 30 miles over the speed limit for 80% of the, drip, the drive out there. Just <laughs> super amped up like a kid going surfing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that I think getting there was, was the main thing. You know, I wasn't so concerned about the amount of time that I got to sleep or, you know, have downtime to, to figure out what my next moves are because – I'm, I'm a complete nerd when it comes to planning. So I knew exactly day by day each of the drainages that I wanted to hit and how much time I needed to kind of allocate for that to happen. Um, you know, a lot of guys gave me heat. They're like, well, why don't you fish for 10 hours as opposed to two hours and then driving five hours to the next spot? Well, I like the running gun technique. You know, I might not get a shot at some of these places ever again. And I figured, you know, the five-mile hike back in there, you're feeling good. You've got all your supplies, you've got your cameras, you got you can get, you know, good pictures and then get back to the car. I just wanted to make sure that I was maximizing the time on the road to be during the day and not nighttime. They got a lot bigger animals out west. I'd rather mm -hmm. hit a white-tailed deer in the neighborhood than an elk or a moose. Yeah. So it's uh, the reality. And there's no street lights in the desert, so there's that too. Did you have any run-ins with uh with any bears or mountain lions while you're out there? No, so the only time I saw anything, but, you know, again, Yellowstone National Park doesn't really count. I mean, it's like a gigantic zoo in the outdoors. There's yeah. no fences and that kind of thing. I uh, saw a couple of grizzlies in Yellowstone. Saw a couple of black bears when I was in Chalice in Idaho, but 
far away to where they, they, they didn't pose a threat. Um, so a lot of snakes. And uh, again, I'm not very good at identifying snakes. Coming from South Africa, I don't have the luxury to go up to snake and say, hey, Mr. Snake, how badly can you fuck my day up? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we, do, we don't have any non-venomous snakes back home, so I treat them with equal respect. It could be a garden snake. It could be a copperhead. A snake is a snake. I don't mess with no shoulders. End of story. <laughs> I, I don't blame so, you. I'm the um, same way. Yeah, I saw a lot of snakes. Um, I don't think there, there were any rattlers, but definitely I think one was called the garter snake, and that was on a creek. I basically climbed through some brush only to be having literally not even a half a rod length away. And my, my little blue line rod six foot, so three feet away, snake staring right at me, hissing. And I'm just, oh, crap. So I slowly start backing out, and then I got the video and, you know, try to be like Rambo, make it look more hardcore than it actually was. But, yeah, it was, that was fun, fun and games. <laughs> so, you know, after that section of the, the your, your start, um, what that you got the Pecos strand, and where did you move on from there? So once I got the Pecos, I was having to drive 560 miles down to the Gila Wilderness, which is on the border of Mexico and Arizona. It's in the far southwest corner of New Mexico. And thankfully, the big Johnson complex fire that had been raging from April to about the end of June had just been put out, and they reopened portions of the, of the Gila Wilderness. Um, Curtis Bayer lives in Albuquerque, and he basically was my – chaperone from a distance letting me know about you know whether there were going to be closures or openings and that kind of thing so he really saved my bacon in that sense by letting me know yeah get down there now because there might be a closure so i chose three creeks to fish one of which i should have picked this one first because i knew right at the gates there's more water in it but you know the the one little canyon again the pictures just are a thousand words just being in a little slot canyon like that where this has just been millions of years of water eroding that sandstone rock, just creating the most dynamic rock features. It's just trippy. Um, didn't see a fish, hardly any water in it. And if there were fish, I didn't fish at them because I just looked and saw that and noticed that the water was so low. It would, it, it would, it would be against my, you know, my right. fi personal fishing preference to leave those guys alone. So I went back, got back in the car, drove about 15 miles back over the mountain to the drainage on the south side, which had plenty of water, uh, except this time they had some bad flooding in April to where the walkway that runs along, it's almost like a catwalk. It's elevated above the creek. Um, to say there was, you know, 150 people just frolicking around in the creek was an understatement. It looked like uh, Eagles versus Jets game at East Rutherford. It was a shit show. <laughs> so I figured, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do about maybe getting above it because the catwalk was shut down. They didn't want anyone past a certain point. So I called Curtis back up and I said, Hey man, can you get in from the top? He's like, Yeah, but if you, you know, you're not 25 year old Mike Telmarks no more, you might want to, you know, really consider your options here. And I figured, you know, what? I I'm out here already. What's the chances of me being back here again? So I was. Parked at the at the trailhead, had a look at it, and I, I looked at it, and I'm like, nah, it doesn't look too bad. Man, Chad, when I got to the bottom and I looked up, I'm like, what in the hell have you done? What are you doing? I have to walk back <laughs> up that thing. And, um, yeah, it probably took me three hours to walk three miles, one and a half miles each way, just because it was so steep and just very, you know, loose, gravelly, treacherous. I mean, one slip, you you're going to fall three, 400 feet, hit a ledge, fall another three, 400 feet, hit another ledge, and then you'll finally fall the remaining 1,000 feet down into the valley. It's, 
Oh, just that, crazy. That's scary shit. But um, that's where I managed to pick up the Gila trout, which is probably one of the rarest trout in the in the United States. Um, they're only native to Arizona and the very southwest part of New Mexico. Um, uh, I went out to Arizona in 2017 and fished with Samuel Clemens, DJ Zor. Yeah. Beyond yeah. the, the Drake. He's, I think him and his wife and his kid are in Montana now outside of Kalispell. Well, anyways, I got skunked on the Healers, and we fished uh, one of the reservation-style creeks that they have out there, which means, again, the state's uh, ID or found geographically a creek that they can put fish in so that if they lose the population because of a fire, they can you know, electroshock or net these fish and, and move them around. It's basically a reserve little population. So to me, that didn't count because I'm, I'm the nutcase that wants to absolutely catch them in their native range. And... That's pretty much that's that that healer that I managed to get in that drainage back in um, the Glenwood, Alma area in southwest uh, New Mexico. That was a hundred percent native species, and that to me was the icing on the cake to finish out the state of New Mexico. So I, that's me. I've got a check mark against New Mexico. I'm done. Awesome. I'm gonna go back, but that's that. That was the first check mark. So can I ask uh, you a question about the water? Where? where sure. We're used to living in Pennsylvania, and you're in North Carolina, and we're fronting water temperatures now. You know, what? What's the water temperature that you're fishing, and how does it stay cool enough in a desert to to sustain trout? You think about these mountains. Some of them, you know, top out at fourteen thousand feet. Some of them have oh, okay. snow year round. Um, a lot of them are in shaded enough canyons to where that water temperature is in the high fifties. Um, I had a little thermometer on me the whole time. The the warmest water temperature I measured, believe it or not, was in Wyoming, and it was 61 degrees on a drainage of the Grovant, which is just north of Jackson Hole. Okay. Um, I was very shocked. I mean, there was there was a couple of times where I was you know I was thinking, you know, depending on how deep these creeks are, I would have been more comfortable in waders because when it comes to cold, I'm a complete pussy. I'm from the <laughs> desert. I don't like anything below 70. I will be out of the board shorts and into jeans and a sweatshirt here by the end of September. So <laughs> um, the, the the water was extremely cool and, and chilly. And, you know, from that standpoint, that's really what, what keeps these fish alive. Cause, and like I said, the elevation is a big kicker too. You, you factor that, you know, where you're at in Pennsylvania now is probably maybe a thousand feet above sea level. I'm at in Raleigh now sitting at about, 500 feet above sea level. Yeah. You factor you're at 10,000. That's, you know, almost two miles up in the sky where the temperature starts to get substantially cooler, the higher in elevation you get. So I think that's one of the kickers just, you know, climatically speaking to, to basically be the, the ingredients to keeping these fish alive. Uh, but the, the, the low water temperature, I mean, the low water conditions can prove to be, you know, somewhat dangerous in the sense that they don't have any cover. I mean, a lot of these raptors, you know, birds of prey, or there might even be, you know, things like mink or mongoose or martens. They, it, it just it's, makes it that much easier for these critters to get, you know, access to the fish. And there's not a lot of fish in, in a lot of these desert creeks. I mean, they've, you know, over the span of the past couple of hundred years, you know, humans constantly wanting to, um, you know, find ways to use more or get get at the water reserves. You know, the the, the water table is constantly getting depleted because they want to have a golf course in Phoenix or they want to grow a potato farm in the middle of the desert. So unfortunately with that, all these creeks are suffering by having the main water, you know, being drained off of them. So instead of, you know, the water being freely available in the valleys, you're going to have to go to, 
you know, where there's canals and that kind of thing. I mean, there's, if, if I would hate to live in downtown Phoenix, I mean, all you're fishing is basically concrete jungle uh, canals. There's no actual water in the Salt River or the San Francisco River. It's just basically dry, dry riverbed just because they have such adverse water conditions. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, a lot of the, those high elevation mountain creeks, it's on bedrock so that the water can be absorbed into the actual substrate. That's what allows a lot of them to remain perennial, which means they flow year round. They yeah. don't stop in the summer. Okay. That's a great answer. And that's something I'd never thought of. Um, one more quick question before you move on with your trip. I know you had an issue with altitude sickness fishing in California before. Mm-hmm. Were you okay this trip? I was 100% okay because I wasn't having 10 to 15 beers a night. Okay. That's the kicker. <laughs> that usually helps. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, living on the coast and being in a, a you know, more, it's, I, I think it's got, it's more mind over matter thing. I honestly think that's what it is. But, you know, your body's fighting against you for starters. You know, there's less oxygen in the air. You're putting yourself through a lot more stress as far as being up in that high elevation. You know, your organs are running probably at 200% capacity because they're trying to, you know, fuel parts of your body with blood. And there's no oxygen in the blood, and you know, your heart's beating on the door saying, "Come on, get me down, get me off this mountain." But um, I think, to, and this is the first uh, time I've done a trip solo. I think being by myself and not having to worry about someone else getting hurt, that took a lot of the emphasis off of having to be someone else's chaperone or watching or making sure that that person's okay. So I just had myself to worry about, and that took a lot of you know, unnecessary stress of me, but being able to be myself and knowing my limits and not having to question whether I'm okay and just getting it done. Yeah, I know. I visited out West for, you know, just a week last, uh, a couple years ago. And, um, even just visiting Yellowstone, I know my mom, my brother-in-law's mom and a couple other people were about to fall out just from the altitude sickness the first day until we kind of got acclimated to it. And did you? Sure. That's, that's actually a really good, that's a, a big kicker. And you, you touched on a very valid point. Anytime anyone wants to go out west, my recommendation is to definitely see if you can stay in a town or a campsite that's above 7,000 feet elevation for at least 24 hours, just to give your body that initial booster to deal with being at that, uh, you know, that higher elevation. It definitely helps for sure. And cut back on your drinks for sure. <laughs> I think that was my brother-in-law's mom's problem. She bought 65 glasses of wine the night before, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, as Carl McIntyre used to say about jokingly about moonshine, don't drink it like it's beer. Yeah, it's not uh, beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the next leg of the trip, where'd you, where'd you head from there? So heart was broken. Come July 5th, I get an alert from the United States Forest Service. Apache Sit Greaves is shut down because they're basically thinking this is going to be that weekend where all the yahoos come with their fireworks. They're going to show up with their booze. They're going to show up with their guns and the place is going to go up in flames. They shut down the Sitgreaves Apache national forest, which extends all the way from, I want to say Flagstaff all the way to that Eastern flank that borders New Mexico, all the way down to Alpine heartbroken. This is my bucket list fish. And I figured, you know what? I do need a downtime day. I just, you know, I've got my ass whacked by going after the Gila trout in that canyon. I would just driven, you know, halfway across the, the U.S. And I needed to, you know, basically have a day of chill. So I figured, let me just drive up to Chambers, which is right on I-40. It's um, located 25 miles east of the Petrified National Forest. Um, being a science kid, I'm absolutely 
enamored with geology. That's one of the, the, the things that got me into stormwater engineering was doing earth sciences when I was in college. And being able to see this place in the flesh, you know, those, those down trees that are hundreds of millions of years old that have become fossilized and crystallized, that was, that was pretty damn cool. And so I spent the afternoon there just taking a bunch of pictures, you know, looking at all the, all the, the geologic formations. In comes a text from a good friend of mine, Philip Crotine. You guys probably know him from as Phil the Dude on Instagram. Yeah, we know oh, yeah. Phil. We know, we, know him, yeah. we, we know him in real life. Phil, if you're listening to this, I owe you a case of beer and half of my French sandwich because that was <laughs> badass what you did. He calls me and says, Mike, get your ass back down to uh, Mount Baldy. Patchy said, Greaves is open, buddy. I'm like, yep, flying down uh, the next morning, probably you know doing twice the speed limit. Well, anyways, get there because I wanted to be, I want to make sure that I'm right there at the gate when they start letting people in. Come to find that open it up the night before, but didn't say anything because they didn't want people to have this whole. They didn't want the I need, be, I, I need to be in the front of the, the queue so I can get that spot. Well, come to find they had a, a research team doing a shocking survey on one of the creeks with the Apaches in them, which was a no go. I was going to hike basically five miles up, find the guys with the shock packs and all those fish would be put down. Well, DJ took me to this fabled meadow. It's something phenomenal. It's on the west side of Mount Baldy, and I hiked about three miles in. And at 8.30 on July 5th, I connected with my bucket list fish. And I'm not going to lie. I cried. That was a very emotional moment for me. Um, it had been something in the pipeline that I've been dreaming about. I've always been crazy about the uh, – you know, just, just the lay of the land of the southwest of the, the United States. You know, the critters that live in adverse conditions. You've got the Gila monster. It's mm -hmm. the little fabled lizard that, you know, there's probably less than 200 of, them, uh, 200 of them left in the wild. It's just something that's in peril. Now, Apache trout is no different. It's probably, outside of a Paiute cutthroat, it's probably the rarest trout on planet Earth. So for me to finally get my hands on, well, put it in the net first. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a biblical moment for me. And, uh just a, a big, big shout out to Phil for that. That that just made my trip 100% complete in my opinion. And that was basically the segue for making the rest of the trip just even better and better. It was just gravy from there on. And I was nine fish out, but three fish in. But with that Apache, it was just, it was, it was biblical. Very, very humbling moment for sure. So can you describe the Apache trout? Um for someone that doesn't know what it looks like, is it like a rainbow? Is it more of a cutthroat subspecies? It's definitely it's definitely an Onchohynchus micus subspecies, a rainbow trout. And what happened is they went up some of the drainages from the Pacific Ocean, much like the cutthroat did to get to places like Wyoming and Idaho and Utah. Except what happened with them, they're a subspecies along with the Gila trout. The Gila trout evolved in a different drainage, and the Apaches ended up in the White Mountain area. They've got a very short kind of a, like a stunted body, almost like a brook trout shape, like a, with a native brook trout, a very olivey yellow um, texture, or sorry, texture color. And they, their eye, the pupil actually looks like it's got a stripe through it, like a horizontal stripe. And that's very, you know, that's, that's characteristic of an Apache. Um, you can't mistake it. So a regular fish has just got the iris and then the white around the pupil. Mm -hmm. Whereas these guys have got like, it almost looks like a crappy's eye. Okay. There's a, a line through it, but it's a horizontal, not a vertical line. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the reasoning behind that is. It's not like a redfish where they have a dot on the tail to kind of deter predators. So they attack their tail and they don't get their head bit kind of thing. I'm not sure if there's a 
mimicry or mimesis, like some kind of camouflaging that they do for predatory stuff. But um, just a very unique looking fish. You can definitely tell it's a, it's a rainbow, but very stunted. I mean, the, the one that I got was probably only about six, maybe seven inches, but just a bulky fish. I mean, he, this guy had obviously been snacking out and hadn't had any yahoos harassing him. So I kind of felt bad that I had to catch him, kind of like mess up his breakfast, but I got him and that's the end of that. <laughs> so after after you do go and catch one of the Apache trout that you've been waiting for, do you continue to fish and try to catch another one or is, are you just taking it off your list and walking back to the truck? No, what, what I did with the Apache, I kept going on. And in honesty, I wish I had made the decision because I wasted about, well, I wouldn't say I wasted, but I fished for four more hours because I knew I had that entire day. Because um, after, um, you know, after I found out that the Apache Sitgreaves Forest was closed down, I was going to chill at uh, Zion National Park, which is in the south part of Utah, just take photos and go to Arches. Because the trip from... Arizona to Salt Lake City has got some of the most amazing uh, national parks in our country. Uh, you've got, uh, I think it's called Capitol Reef. You've got Arches. You've got Zion. Um, you've got, the, well, the Joshua Trees in, in California. And then um, Monument Valley, which I've always wanted to see. Um, that's where I got my, you know, the picture of my exterior with the airwolf, as I call them, the airwolf mountains, where the helicopter used to come out in that TV show from the 80s. Um, so... I was just going to spend that day, oh. so I figured, you know what, heck, I'm here. I'm going to see if I can catch another one, and I kept going up, up, up. But eventually I got to the, Apache, the Fort Apache Reservation boundary, and you don't mess with the, the Native Americans. They will take care of you, and that will be that. So I figured I'm going to back on out of here and, and take a slow drive north and get a bunch of photos of the landscape. Yeah, we're. I'm trying to go through Instagram as you're, you're saying this as well. So th that's incredible, Monument Valley. And that's about the slowest I drove the entire trip because <laughs> everything is roadside. It's, it's this highway that literally goes down through a valley. You've got these very dramatic mesas and buttes and just extraordinary, uh, you know, rock formations. I've, you know, when you see pictures, you cannot ever put it into perspective. I mean, I'm a big Ansel Adams fan. I've got some of his paintings in my house. But when you get to be there in the flesh, it's like it makes you feel so small and insignificant. And you've got all this beauty around you. And it's, it's just something you have to take in and physically be there. You cannot put, you know, pictures, yeah, it's, it's great. But if you have the luxury to physically get out there, do it. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It really is. Yeah, they definitely don't do it justice. <clears throat> so after, uh, after the Apache, you made your way up into Utah. And what was, uh, what was on the list for, for that great state? So Utah has, as I was mentioning, they run a, it's called the Utah Cutthroat Slam Program, where there's four, there are currently four native species of cutthroat that have that have been identified that are native to Utah State. Um, you know, Utah is one of the they, they're kind of like North Carolina. I'm, I'm not going to you know point fingers at them. They tend to put a lot of stalkers on top of the natives because obviously stalkers draw crowds. It draws revenue. You know, people have the luxury to catch fish fairly easily off the side of the road. I mean, you know, Utah is a big, big state, but there's very little areas where you cannot get access via via a dirt road. Now, I wouldn't recommend people going, flying to Salt Lake City and getting a cheaper rental. You will get screwed by these roads. I mean, my exterior has been through the hell ringer, but uh, when I fished one of the creeks to get the Colorado River cutthroat, I kind of wish I didn't drive along that road because even with it being four-wheel drive, the just the loose rocks, I mean, 
the chassis on my truck probably took an absolute beating. I don't even want to take it to the shop just to find out that there's all kinds of things missing underneath that thing. But, you know, it, it's it's rough terrain for sure. Um, and it, it's funny because, you know, I've got a lot of friends that live out there. One in particular, Ian Besant, Storman Mormon. He has lived out there for about eight, ten years now. He graduated from App State. He's big time into skiing. He loves it. And he, he, he fly fish guides in the summer. And I was absolutely blown away with the exact analogy that he made. He said, Mike, the reason that they have so much snow and how good the mountains are is because if you look geographically from all the way west from California into that interior of Utah, they call it the Wasatch Front. It's a it's basically a 13,000 foot row of mountains that gets all they get the brunt of all those big ass winter storms. So they get the the, the snow and the powder dumped on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colorado gets a lot of it too. You know, the Rockies are about the same height as far as that goes, but the Wasatch basically is the first in line to get all the juice, so to speak. But again, they just had a terrible winter, not a lot of snowpack, very limited in what areas I wanted to fish. So again, you know, you consult with the Utah Department of Game and Fisheries. They have regional offices, very helpful people. You know, the the game wardens and, you know, the the the, the, the rangers are just I think they're they're stoked to hear that people are out of state that want to come to their state and fish. You know, it's it's because people talk. I'm hoping that by me spreading the word that, you know, drives up the desire for people to get off the, the East Coast and go out there and, and do it. So, um, like I said, they've got four native species out there. You've got the Bonneville cutthroat, which is their state fish, the Bear River cutthroat, which is a subspecies of the Bonneville that lives in the Bear River drainage. In the Colorado River cutthroat, which is predominantly the green in the Colorado River tributaries. And then the Yellowstone cutthroat trout, which is all the way shoved in the far northwest corner outside of a little town called Stanrod in the Raft Mountains. And those historically used to, dr- they used to drain into the Yellowstone area, which is where Yellowstone cutthroat are predominantly found. And there's a subspecies of Yellowstone called the Snake River cutthroat, which that comes in my Wyoming part of the, the trip <laughs> so i stayed i used uh salt lake city as a base for three days um i found out the hard way do not stay in a hotel on the east side you are likely to be sex trafficked or sold off to whomever <laughs> can get their hands on you it was a, a, a very uh, unnerving experience and of course um but was it, was, you know, was it better ahead. than your hotel in texas no it was in i want to say it was so you know how Utah, uh, Salt Lake City is broken up into quadrants and, you know, the 130th street is basically 130 blocks away from where the Mormon capital, uh, I think it's their church. Yeah, the uh, the temple. Correct, the temple. Yeah. So where I was, I was close to where there was a light rail system and it looked like something out of Johannesburg or Cape Town East Side just... There's, there's basically prostitutes and drug dealers on every street corner and, hey, look at this guy. And then I open my mouth. They're like, ooh, he's got an accent. This is great. I'm like, no, this is not great. I'm getting in my car. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but, um, so I, I, you know, I used to kind of make sure that everything was kosher with my truck because I didn't want to have to unpack the car necessarily. But the first day I got there, I took every, every bit of gear that was in the truck and put it in the hotel and, um, you know, repacked it the next morning. After that, I figured, you know what? I kind of feel okay about that. Next morning, I get up. There's cops everywhere. Apparently, someone was shot dead, and they got the, you know, the, the blanket over the body. And it was just, yeah, it's just unnerving. Just be, be smart about the places you choose. Don't go with price. 
You don't be a cheap ass. Learn Get an from Airbnb Mike. instead. <laughs> we'll stay with one of your Drake buddies. That's right. So Salt Lake City was really cool because it's right on the doorstep of virtually every species that they have. So if you look at Utah on a map, it looks like a giant square with the top right corner that's cut out to, to form a smaller square. And Salt Lake City is right adjacent to, you know, it's, it's fairly close to the Wyoming border. And just, about, I want to say about an hour north is, is Idaho. So the first, the first species I picked up was the Yellowstone, well, sorry, no, it was the Bonneville cutthroat. They're in downtown um, uh, Salt Lake City. You can get them out of Parley's Canyon. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off the names of these creeks because they, you know, it's just, it's, it's like saying you fished trout, trout run when you went to Erie. It's just, it is one of the creeks. Everyone yeah. fishes and everyone knows about it. And it wasn't hard to get the Bonneville. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge was probably going to the West Fork of the Duchesne. That drive out there was an absolute nightmare. And then of course I would pick opening day. So it was a Saturday and everyone and their buddy was fishing and the entire drainage from the headwaters to where there's a reservoir, there was a car on every pull off. And I was like, Oh crap, this is not good. So I, I basically had a cigarette, had a beer, waited for these people to finish up and whatnot, got in to some of the skinniest water I've ever fished on this drainage. And it was probably about five feet wide, managed to catch two little peckers and say, okay, that check that off the list. I'm done. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so that was that. Um, and then the next day I went up to the town of Logan. There's a beautiful drainage. I'm not going to say the name of this particular river, but went up all the way to the headwaters. It was basically on the border of Utah and Idaho and got into the Bear River cutthroat. And those were some of the bigger fish that I was getting to, you know, 15, 16 inch fish, which is three, four times the size of the regular small fish that I, you know, am used to catching. So the little zero weight was put through its paces. I probably lost about half a dozen flies before I went back to the car and got the, the two weights just so that I had a shot at landing some of these fish because, you know, you wrangle an 18 inch fish and it's a fairly big drainage with a zero weight. It's, it's going to end in tears most of the time. Yeah. So uh, managed the Bear River cutthroats, um, fished that for pretty much the entire day. And then I made the god awful mistake of trying out a Hibachi Express, which would be basically Hibachi blow up the next morning. So I won't go into the details on that. But, uh, and then um, the Yellowstone cut, like I said, that was up in the Raft Mountains. Uh, super, super tight creeks. I mean, these things are not even but two feet wide in some places. Uh, managed to get a couple of those. That's where I had the little run-in with uh, what I thought was a rattlesnake. And again, I'm not going to hang around and question and see what type of you know snake it is. And got out of there. Got got a couple. Um, headed back into Utah to get more supplies, fill, uh, fill up on gas. And then that's where the meat and potatoes of my trip started. I was super jazzed about Idaho because Idaho has six native species of fish. Now I managed. I want to say. All of them, except I cannot, and I'll probably take heat to say that I caught a steelhead. Technically, it is a steelhead, but it doesn't have the length to be a steelhead. So a steelhead basically becomes one when it's over, I think it's 24 inches. But to catch that fish in this drainage was another, you know, another little check mark. So ah, you caught um, steelhead in Erie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the they, real they ones. Have, they have an article on the Drake about this goon from South Africa that alleged that he caught a steelhead, and that's going to, you know, maybe, maybe it will be a good little, you know, story to tell and all that. I don't know. <laughs> so um, I stayed in the town of Chalice, which is right on the Salmon River. 
Um, to say the Salmon River is one of the most beautiful rivers I've seen on the planet is just an understatement. This place is truly God's country. It makes those places in New Zealand look obsolete. Um, you know, my brother lives in Auckland, and I had the luxury to go down to uh, Mount Cook, which is in the South Island near Wellington when I was in my mid-teens. But, um, you know, learning that brown trout don't live in New Zealand, that the Brits brought them along with squirrels and their shit attitudes and took over an island and put a bunch of sheep with them. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm more about going to these places where the fish have lived for hundreds and thousands of years before human intervention and technology got involved in the way of, you know, crossbreeding and introducing rainbow trout to every mountain drainage kind of thing. So the town of Chalice was my base for four days out there. Um, believe it or not, the very first fish I caught was a 14 inch bull trout. And to say I almost shit my pants was an understatement. I was not expecting that. I mean, just a absolute gorgeous looker of a fish, very long, like a belt, very skinny, but all the markings that I had seen in all the photos of bull trout that I've seen online and seen on, um, you know, the internet, uh, well, online internet, same damn thing. Um, so that was up on a tributary of the East Fork of the Salmon, which is tucked way, way down in what they call the Sawtooth Mountains. Uh, another big drive. I mean, from Chalice to the Salmon River, well, in that area was three hours, but on a map, I only drove about 37 miles. Again, dirt roads, windy as all hell. Um, just trying to avoid not to get a blowout. You know, I've got two spare tires. I've got the full kit, but I'm thinking if I have to get out of the car, you know, the air quality was absolute garbage while I was out there. They have all these massive uh, wildfires. Uh-huh. And, you know, they, they, at, they, at, they there would be announcements made in the morning that would come through as the emergency alerts on your radio saying to people to please limit the time that they spend outdoors to say an hour or two hours because of, you know, smoke inhalation, carbon monoxide. Um, thankfully, some of the valleys in the southern area, they weren't so bad. But, I mean, as soon as you get to the rise where you're dropping over a pass or getting down to where, you know, it's a little bit more open where the wind can push all that stuff from the north from Canada and the northern parts of Idaho and California, you couldn't see so much as the mountaintops. It was so thick in some places. So, and then, you know, the hotel that I was living in right off the main drag of Chalice itself, there were probably 30 to 40 firefighters from around the country that were ready to be deployed to certain areas to fight the front. And another hat off to those guys that do an incredible job. Cannot thank, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are doing so much more for the environment than most people even give them credit for. And these guys are committed. You know, they probably spend their life training and they could easily lose their life at the same time trying to protect the mountains from these uh, runaway, you know, runaway wildfires. Um, so the East Fork of the Salmon is where I got the supposed steelhead. It was a USFS officer that actually came up to me in a four-wheeler. And he's like, you manage any rainbows? I'm like, yeah, well, those rainbows. And I'm thinking, shit, you know, it's a good thing you weren't an asshole back home throwing the damn things up on the bank. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no invasive rainbows in this particular drainage. The smaller rainbows are called red bands, uh-huh. which I had never caught before. So that was another little check mark against that. So that was that was the first day. Uh, the second day, I decided to do the impossible and drive over a pass. I, it took me almost three hours again, but this time to drive 19 miles. And this is one of these zigzaggy passes. You can see the, the remnants of an old mine. They've got a big dredge at the very bottom of the valley, and they've just destroyed the entire drainage to where... It basically looks like a big, uh, you know, riprap wall of stone that they've supposedly reconfigured the creek bed, but they've done such a terrible job of it. It's, it, it doesn't do any justice. And I'm hoping over time 
when they have more flooding, it's just going to, you know, spread those rocks down to where they naturally would be. Yeah. Um, so got over into what's called the Frank Church River of No Return. I mean, if that's not a foreboding name, then uh-huh. I don't know what is. But just getting down on the other side of that mountain and seeing these creeks, it was just an eye-opener. And one of these days when I hit the lottery or something, I would love to have the luxury to get my truck back up there and have a raft and just float down the damn thing and, and figure out if someone if, if someone can pick me up 60 miles down like after a week because that's the type of river that very few people have seen. And that's going to kind of be like a, you know, you Lewis and Clark almost, you know, back before white man came from Britain. And it's just one of those really uh, probably be an out of body experience to be able to do something like that. Cause there's absolutely nothing below. There's no roads. There's no dirt roads, nothing. It's just, you, you're basically floating through a Canyon and you know, that's probably where I do a ton of research on a topographic map with ArcGIS to determine if there's any waterfalls. Cause you don't want to just, jump in a boat and think, okay, we're good to go. You know, we all know what happened with uh, Burt Reynolds and company and Deliverance, right? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that was that was really cool. And I think when I go up next year, I'm going to try to get up the north part on the Panhandle closer to Canada. There's a drainage called the Coudaline, um, and then also the St. Joe River. Just the more further you go towards Canada, the less roads there are, the less people there are, and just – those, those rivers are so much more intact than, you know, the, the, the creeks around, say, Boise or uh, even around Payette, or I think it's Payette, one could be. So Chalice was a good base for me for that area, for sure. And then I ended up the trip, uh, well, I ended the trip going to Wyoming, and that's where I managed to get the Snake River Fine Spotted Cutthroat Trout and a mountain whitefish they look exactly like bonefish they don't fight as hard as bones and they're not as hard as bones to catch so that was pretty that was pretty cool that's where i did see uh a couple of grizzlies a couple of moose the bison thankfully i wasn't uh the 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 you know the 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 token tourist that went up to one to get a selfie and get mauled yeah so i'm glad I, you didn't I, do I that also. In the car for that part <laughs> But I did manage to see Old Faithful, uh, Old Faithful, the guys that go off. That was pretty damn cool, too. Yeah, that's awesome. That was awesome. And then um, uh, anyone that wants to go to Jackson Hole in the middle of July, I would advise against it. It's basically the Gatlinburg of the West. There's so many tourists out there. It's insane. No wonder why the locals don't want to go anywhere near there. It's very commercialized. Good beer, but very commercialized. Yeah. Man. Jeez. And then it took me... It took me 37 hours to drive home because I factored the first stop was New Mexico, which was 27 hours. But then I drove, I think it was somewhere in the region of a thousand miles from Santa Rosa to the Gila Forest and then back north all the way to where my endpoint was Salmon. Well, sorry, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Yellowstone. Um, slept in my car in Laramie outside where the backcountry.com uh, warehouse is. I figured, you know what, I don't even need a hotel room tonight. I'm just going to rough it. Uh, drove a bunch of hours the next day. Got to Asheville, stayed with a buddy. We fished the next day. Leisurely drive back on Sunday. And I was back at work on Monday, kicking my ass for returning. <laughs> <laughs> so, all in all, from the time you pulled out of your driveway till the time you pulled back into your driveway, how many days was it? Left on the 2nd, was back on the 19th, so 17 days. That's awesome. How many miles did you put on your Xterra? Uh, 7,700 and some change. Wow. Man. The, 
That's we, a triple lifetime for sure. I, yeah. I really was tickled to death. So when I was passing through Oklahoma, uh, July 3rd was exactly nine years ago. I bought her on July 3rd of 2012, and she had three miles on her. <laughs> and she was doing well. She uh, I hit 150,000 at that on that same day. So that was that was kind of a cool one-two punch for her. But you know, having a Nissan, my biggest fear is even if, if it you know even if I'm locally here at the beach or up in the mountains is for that damn timing chain to go out. Yep. That's almost like someone ripping the engine out and saying you're good to go and you need to figure this out. So um, you know, I keep I, I take it to the dealership every 5,000 miles. I actually had a tune-up before I left. Just given the circumstances, you know, I'm going to be up in some serious re- remote areas. That's you don't play games with these kinds of things. I mean, I really did take it seriously. Um, James Garretson uh, about trout. He's in New Mexico. He's a good friend of mine from Virginia. Uh, he guides out there on the. I want to say it's the San Juan. Anyways, he told me do yourself a big favor. Get a Potec. It's basically a little. It's a, it's a little combo. It's a jumper. It's a compressor and uh, emergency cell phone charger. It's got this bright-ass LED light that in the event that you don't have anything like a phone or whatever, you can use it as the light to see what you're doing in that. Um, just little odds and ends. I got uh, a tow rope, an emergency tow rope, just in case I got stuck on the side of the road and someone could like at least pull me out if I got stuck somewhere. Um, took the two newish tires that I had on the front, uh, put one of them underneath the, the wheel well and then put one in the back. I had two full-size spare tires with the, the rims and everything, not the not the donut that these yahoos in the city use. Yep. Um, and then um, as far as – so I, th- I thought I could have done a lot better on the eating front. So I took my entire camp kit. I didn't use the damn thing once. I, I guess I was so damn tired each night, I would just roll into a shitty restaurant and eat a burger or a steak. And I kind of felt bad because that took up a lot of space. I mean, it's this big Rubbermaid tub with a Coleman two burner, uh, propane tanks, you know, just a little wash kit, a cutting board, skillets, paper plates, paper, uh, you know, all that, all that crap. I could have probably loaded up something else like gummy bears or, or, or more beer maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and again, you know, this is the, other than driving across country when I worked at a summer camp back when I was in my late teens, this is the first big, big trip that I've ever really done in the car. I mean, I've, I've flown out to Colorado, got to Denver, got a rental and driven all over the Rockies with it kind of thing. But I think the luxury of having my personal car was that I know exactly what it's capable of. It's got a lot of space and just the luxury of not having to take it back to the dealership. And they're like, whose car is this? And it's like, well, it's your guys. And the thing looks like something out of Jackass when they go take the thing to the demo derby, you know, <laughs> covered in dirt and dust. And there goes your $500 deductible. So there was there was de- definitely an incentive, and I think COVID was another big reason. So last year I only managed to do trip uh, two big trips in the sense of going out west. I did the Wisco Disco with some Drake guys in July, and then a good friend of mine and I we flew out to Colorado and drove to New Mexico, and then flew back out of Colorado, just spending a little time around Alamosa, Durango, Albuquerque, that kind of thing. So I think by the time January rolled around, and you know COVID and the social distancing and the travel restrictions weren't relaxed. I figured nope, I'm going to get in the car and, and, and get, get out West this, this year. Um, but it was really one of those things that I had to be vigilant about watching the weather, you know, keeping on with how much snowpacks available. Cause a lot of these States, you know, after I got home, they shut down a lot of those rivers. 
Uh, Montana shut down a bunch of their drainages. Uh, Wyoming did the same. Just given that, you know, with the increased temperatures, a lot of fires, a lot of, you know, not so easy or safe driving conditions, they just want people to be safe. And you always have to have that guy that wants to go out there regardless and that ruins it for everybody. Yeah. Uh, like those assholes that were cutting locks in Washington. You know, they shut the forest down for a reason. You know, I thought that some of the decisions that the Washington Game and Fish made of saying that they don't want people to go out fishing, I mean, that's just saying, well, you can't drink alcohol. It's just going it, to end in a calamity. But um, so from that standpoint, I lucked out where I wanted to do it later in July than I, than I originally planned. But then given that, you know, July 4th was on a Sunday, I automatically get that fifth off. I didn't have to take three, four weeks off of work, which was kind of one of the reasons that I did it because, you know, with a lot of stuff going on with uh, the, you know, the residential housing market and construction, there's a shortage of building materials. There's a shortage of labor. There's a shortage of hardware. I just figured this is about the best time for me to go and do this damn thing because I'm going to come back and it's going to be a cluster and it's going to be on like, you know, going to go from zero to 60. And that's exactly what happened in the month of August. So this entire month I've been swamped with work, but I always make sure that I got time to fit in some pinball and beer drinking. Not so much fishing though. I've really, really been tough to get uh, out on, on the fishing front, but I'm hoping that with the weather cooling down, be a little different, more, you know, hope for the best. But uh, it's going to take a couple of months to get the shit-eating grin off my face after that trip, man. <laughs> so with the majority of the fish that you were catching, were you dry fly fishing? Or uh, obviously for the, the bull trout, you're probably throwing streamers, right? So interesting that you say that. So I'm a dry fly snob. I, if you look at my boxes, 90% of the flies that I have are anywhere from a size 10 stemmy to size 22 Griffith snap. I really am, you know, upstream dead drift, all that bullshit. But... <laughs> I've been known to dabble. So, yeah, I've, I, I caught a couple on uh, streamers. I did use a girdle bug free lining. Well, not free lining, but basically tight line nymphing. You know, instead of using a thingamabobber yeah. or a dry dropper rig, um, you know, just because some of these fish, you could tell that they were feeding in a lane and deep enough in the hole that you couldn't get a dry fly to them. I mean, they would basically be having a, especially in Wyoming, the one drainage that I fished in, on, in the Grovant Wilderness it's it's not the regular size creek that I fish. I mean, this was more suited for like say a nine foot six weight where you're making 40 and 50 foot casts to the head of a pool because there's just so many fish that you can spook in the tail outs that you don't want to be the cowboy and put a big cast down and then everyone skedaddles and then that's that pool put down for the entire damn day. So from that standpoint, I did take, I think I took seven rods with me total. I had two zeros, two twos, a four, a six and an eight. And I, the, the reason I took the eight is because the bull trout in Idaho genuinely are big. I mean, I did fish uh, the one drainage with the eight the entire time because the the three or four fish that I did see that were in a pool, I obviously spooked and they would not eat. Um, the one fish was easy, 28 inches, and that's probably about a five, six-pound fish. you got no business trying to uh, you know, wrangle a fish that's in a fairly fast-moving body of water uh, with 30 feet of line out on a six weight, it's going to end in tears, especially if he gets below you and gets into the rapids. It's game, it's game over. Yeah. Um, so I think from the standpoint of getting, you know, my cherry popped this time around, when I go back next year, I think I'm going to go back with a better game set, you know, with exactly which drainages I want to fish, what to fish, and be a little bit more patient this time because, you know, the whole running gun thing, that was just to get the species and the numbers up. But I think the trip to Idaho next year is going to be a little bit more relaxed where I get up at 6 in the morning, get on the river by 7.30, 8 o'clock, 
fish the whole day, get off the, the water when the sun's going down, which, believe it or not, is around 10 o'clock because you're so far north. Mm-hmm. Um, it really starts to get dark at about 10.30, which is phenomenal. So you really have the better part of 14 to 15 hours a day to fish. And obviously take drinks on, on the creek with you, lots of water. I've got one of those. It's like a bladder. It goes in the back of my book bag and, you know, put some ice blocks in there or mineral water or whatever, and then have the beers at the campsite or the, the hotel in the evening. Yeah, beers are just too heavy to carry when you're when you're doing oh, that for much sure. walking. And, yeah, and then of course you don't want to uh, you don't want Johnny Law showing up because you know the beer <laughs> ferments in the pack and it makes you smell like you're a brewery, like the tail marks in, in in Raleigh, North Carolina after the game of pinball. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> just got to be like cognizant of those kinds of things, especially the game wardens. I mean, no one's you know wanting to get you for for, for stuff like that, but there are people that go out in the mountains to go get blasted, and that's the people that they don't want seen doing dumb stuff. Yeah, and then they have to waste taxpayer dollars to try to find them later. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of pinball, but, uh, speaking of pinball, where did you get your love of pinball? So when I was about eight years old, we had an arcade in South Africa, and my father used to go with me. And because I'm a short shit, I'm still only five nine or five ten. Um, they used to bring out a beer crate so I could touch the paddles, <laughs> and I fell in love with it. It was awesome. And from you know. Living in the UK, there's a big uh, pinball presence, a lot of arcades. Um, going to places like Switzerland, France, Italy, everywhere, every bar or like corner cafe has a pinball machine. And, you know, a lot of these 80s and 90s arcade or amusement machines are starting to make a big comeback. I mean, Stearns probably pumps out a machine once every two months. So we're not necessarily stuck with having to use you know, machines that are 30 years old and they just get refurbished and that there's, there's, there's a lot of new product out there. Um, just really cool. I mean, here in, in Raleigh alone, we've got a arcade called Boxcar. They've got probably 20 machines. And then my local bar up the street here called Heroes Pub and Grill, they have five and it's just really cool. And, uh, the lady that I'm dating, she's crazy about pinball. So that's a good sell and she likes fishing. So I think I might, I might be ruining someone Two ways to Sunday with the fly rod too, though. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, I saw that on your Instagram that she uh, she got her first fish on the fly, and that's pretty exciting. Oh yeah. And tell us a little so bit about that. Hopefully, I can I can keep this one. That's that's a keeper. I usually put all the other fish back in the water. I don't know if it's about that with this this lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, man. So um, I I was in your neck of the woods like three weeks ago. Down in West. Yeah, you were picking up the dog, a uh, little lab. Yeah, man. I I told my wife, I was like, I know a guy that's right around here, but we didn't have time to stop or do anything. Uh, I can I completely understand. And then I think you guys said it was like way west of me, anyways. I think around Asheville area. Oh, we were in West End. Um, uh, West End is that close to Charlotte? It's close to Fort Bragg. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's down towards uh, Cumberland County, Fayetteville. Yes, yeah, the yeah. military base. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a little ways from me. I think it's about an hour and a half southeast of me, kind of thing. Okay, well, I had to drive northeast to go home. <laughs> there you go. And I was in your neck of the woods uh, recently. I went up to um, a fish pens creek around Memorial Day weekend. We stayed in uh, Milheim um, in PA. In yeah, it was towards the end of May. Okay. You guys that was any- phenomenal. I've never so they've got that uh, the green drink hatch. I thought it was you know some you know a bunch of bugs and all this. It is that is like something else. If if no one's seen that, they need to they need to experience that. I mean, I'm not a big fan of brown trout for the reason that they're not native. But 
catching one on virtually every cast, and they're not small fish. I mean, they're between 14 and 18 inches. And these are feisty wild fish too, beautifully colored, just absolute dandies. Coming up to a size, God, heaven knows, like a size two, uh, we stopped in at the, I can't think of the name of the fly shop that's right on Penn's Creek, um, just south of Milheim. Well, anyways, five bucks a fly. I'm like, holy crap, I could probably get, you know, a dozen on eBay, but not the same style. I mean, these are these are shop-tied flies. They're not something that's made in a sweatshop in South Africa. Yeah. And um, just, you know, the, the, I'm still in awe. It was great, you know, catching – these these brown trout on these enormous dries. I mean, it was it just was perverted top water action. It was really great. That sounds like um, a blast. It was just a good crowd. You know, it was it was very very busy. I mean, I fished little feeder stream. I'm not going to say it. it's a brook, it's a native brook trout stream that dumps in you know somewhere around there. Um, caught a bunch of brookies, but the main stretch on Penn's Creek, it's it's just it's it's a gem to fish. It's easily wadeable. It's it's wide open. Um, I think a lot of the folks that fish it are, you know, they're courteous enough of their neighbors. You know, you're not going to get low hold. You're not going to get side hold or high hold. And we were, the, we were literally there over Memorial Day weekend. I was kicking my ass thinking, oh, my God, when we drive home down I-95 through Maryland and Virginia, it's going to be bumper to bumper traffic. Well, I don't know if it was a situation that people were, you know, coming home that following Monday instead. But we avoided all the traffic. But then we did stop. So I, my buddy, that uh, my roommates, he's uh, he's big into entomology. I collected a bunch of cicadas for him, and he went and uh, you know he's he's got those little pins, and you got your little mounting board, and you put it in kind of like a collector's tray. Yeah. But he's got the coolest diorama of four cicadas lined up where they've got like a different wing beat, and it just looks so damn cool. The the brood X cicadas. Yeah, the seventeen year cicadas. It's funny you say that because uh, in 2004, I was living just outside of D.C. up in Maryland. That's the last time they came out, and they were they were bad. I mean, you for about two weeks straight, it's just this deafening sound. It's just nonstop. And they're literally coming out of the ground by the thousands. You know, the dog was going ballistic. It's like, well, <laughs> let him eat him. It's protein. Probably don't have to feed the damn thing for the next two weeks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, this, this one wasn't as big as the last one in 2004. And it, I think it's sporadic. It, you know, they pop up in different areas. Like, we didn't really have any here in North Carolina, so to speak. I know that you guys had a ton up in Pennsylvania. But, again, it wasn't the entire state that was under siege by the Brood X. It was just a pocket here, a pocket there, a pocket here. Yeah, it wasn't over um, here. Yeah, Central PA got it a lot worse than we did. Out here, we didn't really see any at all. But I know on my vacation just this year going down south, we get to see a lot in Virginia. Uh, and, oh, for sure. And that area, even um, what we went to Virginia and then North Carolina and South Carolina had a few too. But Oh, for sure. Now, that's something that I'd love to do is do a, like a cicada mania style bake where, um, you know, you're on a, a public lake or a reservoir and the carp are eating those things because that's good fun. I was fit- um, I've seen some uh, pictures that Alan Wallace Gillespie that runs Three Rivers Anglers in uh, Tennessee puts up on his site and they constantly catching those big, big 30 pounder fish on these cicada patterns that's pretty damn cool yeah my a buddy i fished with today um from columbus ohio he he was just oh that's all he was he, cicada cicada that's all he talked about for about a month <laughs> or so and he just carp 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 and he said he had such a good time and they i mean you put oh, one anywhere sure. near him and they were just eating away and i wish we had got that here a little bit i know chad's a carp fisherman speaking of carp i'm looking out the window right now and i see one tailing over at the pond <laughs> oh my god where's my invite <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, you're welcome to go no, that, anytime, man. That so so that's the thing. I'm I'm such a dirty snob about trout, but when it comes to other species of fish, I find carp to be one of the damnedest, hardest, hardest nails fish sometimes to catch, and they fight great. They are such a bunch of assholes. They're worse than bonefish sometimes, you know. Oh, they're super um, hard to catch, but that's what oh, makes them sure. so much fun. Absolutely. So, um, like I was telling you, I go up to the Wisco Disco. It's with Josh Radline, Fred Anderson, Kevin Kuda, yeah. um, Justin Maddox. We, go, we stay in Stevens Point. And, you know, just fishing the main branch of the Wisconsin River, the water fluctuates all the time because they're releasing out of the paper mill dams and all that. But I went up a couple years ago and was standing on the top of a concrete wall where there's a dam. And I basically pushed Fred out of the way. Said to him, hey, I got this. Stuck this fly right in the thing's face. I think it was called the Point Special. And it was on. This 30-pounder took me downstream, took me upstream. Luckily, I was using an eight weight. And by the, I don't know, you know, Q, if, if Fred, you're listening, thanks for the, 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 the tail on that fish. He grabbed him, and that was probably the biggest carp I've personally caught him in my life. And it wasn't a river. So you can imagine a 30-pound fish pulling that way. I'm trying to pull this way. It was, it was something special. And then we catch them in the actual main river. And it's funny because the technique that they use is kind of like a down and across, let it drift across their nose and they'll pick it up. Yep. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. And then there's this, you know, there's world-class smallmouth fishing. You can wait fish musky. There's walleye. Um, you know, what do they call those um, sucker fish? The red horse. The red horse suckers. And, mm-hmm. and pike. And it's just, a, it's just a, a damn good time. And that's, you know, similar situation where the guys are, Drinking till four in the morning, or well, mostly me, at least. <laughs> uh, getting up at seven, going to the breakfast place, being on the water by eight, fishing till sundown, and just doing it four days straight. It's just, it's awesome. It really is. Yeah, man. The, those Drake bakes are the best. Um, was, oh, for sure. Was that the year that Chad Wall got his muskie at the Wisco Discord? No, that was the year before. So Chad came up in 2018, I want to say. And uh, yeah, so that was great because, you know, Chad's Chad's a phenomenal person. He's a great rider too. And I think his expectations, because he had spent a couple of days prior up at Brad Bones up in um, Hayward, Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, real musky country. You know, you got the, the Northwoods. And they caught fish, but I don't think anyone caught anything of substance. So I think Chad kind of rolled in there saying, ah, I don't know how this is going to work out. And that some bitch just rolls in there, just casting around in this 42 inch fish eats and it was on. I mean, I didn't see the fight. I just saw the pictures, but I saw that shit eating grin for like the entire remainder of the trip was great. (laughs) (laughs) It was really cool. I think he actually took the next day off and just was walking around camp, you know, with a little chipper in the step. And I'm like, yeah, that's my guy right there. I like that. Just strutting around (laughs) like a big old rooster. Drinking and chilling out and just, you know, I can't imagine. I caught one the first year I went and Dan Vogg said to me, dude, you're screwed. You're not going to catch another one for another five years. And he's right. I haven't caught one, another one since then. But have you been chasing <laughs> them since then? I have. Yeah. I've, I've moved some and I've had one that I call the helicopter move on me. It basically came out of the depths and I just about went, good God, and kept moving the fly, but then he must've seen me and he just receded back down. Just like a little vertical come up. Uh, there's the South African. Fuck that guy. Let's go back down. <laughs> he, smelled, <laughs> but, um, he smelled the beer yeast on you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but um, just fun times, you know, like that that entire area. And th- there's so much river to fish, and I don't think we've even run into other people. I mean, sure, down the river they'll come up with the boats, but there's almost a rock garden that is where the, most of the most of the fish are caught. And you can't get a boat beyond the rock garden to the big pool that's below the spillway where we where we start fishing. 
And depending on how high the water is, um, you know, may have to fish further down. We may have to go to a different drainage altogether. Like last year, um, that was my first trip on a plane since COVID hit was in late July, early August. And I was really undecided as to whether I even wanted to go on this trip because I didn't know how they were going to be about being on a plane. You know, you, you're in a little tin can as it is. got to wear a mask. And I didn't know if I was having to sit next to somebody. And it, it all worked out. It really did. But I had to fly into Minneapolis and not um, uh, General uh, Mitchell in, in Milwaukee because Wisconsin had a 14-day quarantine uh, requirements. And I just didn't have the luxury to take a full two weeks off. And I'm sure Josh Radline would have wrung my neck if I stayed at his house for more than 10 hours. So, <laughs> so we ended up, I got a ride with Kevin Kuda. He, Kevin lives in Minneapolis. Um, he drove and we fished another drainage. We didn't go anywhere near the Wisconsin River because they had got some major, major rains a couple of days before. And, you know, these are big, big rivers and they're running at 10, 15,000 CFS. And there's just zero opportunity to even so much as try to wade fish. But um, it all worked out because we found another drainage. I mean, there was weren't as many fish, but whatever fish were caught were quality fish. And uh, Fred's brother actually caught a tiger muskie, and I was just blown away. And that was pretty damn cool to be there and see it and take the photos because a tiger muskie is like a tiger trout. You know, if it happens in nature, it's almost like a lottery fish. Mm-hmm. You've got a brown trout male and a brook trout female, and somehow the egg and the milt, they mix and they make this random, you know, unicorn in nature. Yeah, man. But I don't know if tiger muskie can spawn, can they? Or well, they, they, they. I guess they're what they they sterile like the tiger trout, right? Yes, I believe so. I believe you're correct. Gotcha, gotcha. They're like our hybrids, like our a hybrids, mule. Beautiful right. looking fish, and you know it's funny. You go out west to places like Arizona or even Nevada, and a lot of their um, impoundments, like I think it's Lake Mead, you know, you hear the state records like a thirty pound fish, and it's like shit. Well, those things grow. They eat. You know, they they getting after those bait fish. Yeah, they get big fast, but they don't live as long as the uh, the pure strain muskie do. They, ah, okay, that makes sense. That's what they say, at least. Gotcha. So, hey, Mike, uh, we've had you on the line for like an hour and a half. Is there anything that we haven't hit on that you want to? Uh, I mean, just uh, you know, hats off to everyone that helped me. I mean, especially Curtis Bayer. Curtis, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, ben Russell, March to uh, March to Mountains. He had been out there a month prior to me, and I was just envious. You know, when you know you're going somewhere, but you've got to wait because you got work and everything. And you know, my time came around, and I'm just thinking, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get all these damn fish and just be, you know, insta famous. Not that I'm like that, but yeah, just for shits and giggles. Yeah. But you know, their experience was great. They got the fish that they wanted. They did a little bit of a similar route to me, but the problem being is when I showed up, the water levels were just not there. And my biggest concern was. Is it okay to fish? And I talked with a lot of freshwater biologists, people that said, absolutely, just you take care of yourself because this is not the country you want to take a wrong step. And there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there that can get you kind of thing. But it worked out for the best. It really did. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very appreciative of all the information that was provided over the past six months in making this trip happen. Uh, just a trip of a lifetime. Very humbling experience. Something I, I can't wait to do again. I'd love to do it next year. Not obviously for, for three weeks because I got the stuff called work. But they kind of gave me a concession since you know things are going good at the at, on the work front, and uh, hopefully I can make something happen here and um, be on the show again next year. Absolutely, man! You got an open door, free reign policy, man. Anytime you want. I'm down with that for sure. This has been fun. 
Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. You guys, your show rocks to listen to it on a regular basis. And uh, it was really cool to be on the podcast this time around and, and you know, give you guys my my outtakes of, of my Western Odyssey. It was, it was a real pleasure. Oh, it was definitely our pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. You guys be safe and have a good night. We'll do, man. You do the same. All right. Take care. Later. Bye bye. Man, Mike was great. Oh, that was an awesome, awesome, awesome interview. I enjoyed myself. Yeah, well, and Mike kind of carried it for us, so we our job was easy. It sure was. So, Chad, go real quick. You hooked the carp. Oh yeah. Okay. So I hooked the carp the other day. It was weird. I saw this carp feeding by the outlet over at the pond. So I, I flopped a fly, like straight down in front of it, and that's a like a straight drop off. And I saw the carp disappear, but go down in the same direction. I was like, uh, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And I just forgot to set the hook just in case. And my rod doubled over. I was like, oh, shit. And it just so happened that my, my son and my wife and the puppy were over, you know, just hanging out with me. I was like, Nolan, come here. Come here. Fight this fish. And so I, I had to walk like halfway around the pond and to get him into like an open spot where he could fight this fish. That little bastard fought that fish like a champion. He sure did. He looked like he had it in his whip and everything. Oh, he, he laid the wood to that fish. And we had it. I didn't touch the rod. Once I gave it to him, I didn't touch the rod. He brought it to the bank. I said, all right, buddy. I reached out and I put my hand under its gill. And I lifted it up. I was like, oh, look, we're going to get some, some sweet pictures. And it flopped and flopped right on my hand. Because when I go to the pond, I don't take a net over there. Yeah. But it's, it is what it is. But I got some pictures of him reeling the fish in. Yeah, those are awesome pictures. You had, well, he had another experience. I don't know if you guys mentioned it on the podcast, or I don't think we talked about it. You took him up for maybe the coolest fish you might ever catch, a muskie. I did do that. <laughs> no, we've had we've had decent water temps, and they've been in the low seventies there. And I even know a little more north, they've been in the sixties even. So yeah, no, that was totally safe. And him and I were like, he's like, Dad, I want to do this. And okay, we we mentioned COVID. Uh, him and my wife both had it, and they were quarantined, cooped up for two weeks. I was like, all right, my, my son's showed zero symptoms. I was like, Ashley, I'm taking him. We got we to gotta get him outside, do something. He's a seven-year-old kid. We got to get him outside. Hell yeah. He's, he's always telling me, Dad, my dream is to catch a muskie. All right. He, little boy knows how to throw a bait caster. Mm-hmm. So I just grabbed a, a spinner bait, got an ollies, and put a big rubber trailer on it. I said, like, all right, bud. Went to the, we went to, where we go? And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And he was thrown for, for a minute. I said, all right, well, if, if we're going to let him see a muskie, I had this big top water prop bait BS. I was like, I'm going to start throwing below the structure. He's going to throw above it. Pretty soon I hear, dad, dad, there's one right here. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, it came out. It, it, it hit my lure. You shit. He said, it's right here. I said, well, what happened? I said, he said it came out and it it was below the lure. I said, did it hit it? He said, yeah, it hit it. I said, did it open its mouth? No, it didn't open its mouth. It just like hit it with its nose, like trying to scooch it out. Yeah. So (laughs) more of an annoyance hit than it trying to eat. More. It's a success for me. <laughs> oh, sure. And that, you know, even at that, him seeing that fish, the, him, the fish coming out, like, that's that's an experience. And then after that, he's like, I just want to explore. 
episode. No, sure. Okay, I said, I'm going to keep fishing. You just keep exploring. We'll, we'll work our way down. You get to explore every new hole we go to. I said, all right. I said, all right, we're going to move. He said, I don't want to move. <laughs> I said, we're going to stay on this creek. But we're just going to go downstream. Said, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll keep doing that. So that that was my two fishing expeditions in the last month. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was hurt, man. COVID got me good. So I hadn't fished for a little while. I'm glad um, to see you're up in vertical. Yeah, I'm good now. I feel back about 100%. Um, it made me... Man, I, I, I sit and reflect on a few things. And, you know, in the f- in the stupid YouTube world we live in, you know, uh, and even even us, we've fished for a long time. To go out, I, I think that something's getting lost with all this Internet crap. The you can you could go on there and see what this guy's done, what this guy's done and just and just, you know, see what they've done and just go out and do what you want to do. You know what I mean? And it's so easy to get the information. Or I feel like the experience of going out and failing and learning from your mistakes and then going out the next time, not making those mistakes and succeeding, I feel like that's being lost. With I mean, I don't know, every not everybody, but, you know, just I, I, I even find it with myself. I right toward the end of the COVID or when I, I kind of kicked it and I was starting to feel good. It was a Friday. I wasn't going to go into work. I didn't know if I had it in me to like, you know, bust my ass for eight hours of destruction. For- you know what I mean? And I didn't want to, I wanted to take it easy. And so I said, Hey, I'm going to go walk a stream, put a couple miles on, you know what I mean? And, you know, just kind of fill it out, you know, make sure I feel good. Feel you yourself know? And I can, out. Yeah. Make sure I can, you know, do my thing. So we'd got a lot of high water and, Creeks were cool, so I went trout fishing. I mentioned it a little earlier. <laughs> so, get to the trout stream, and I took uh, I took my three weight. You know, I was hop- gonna hopper dropper. Well, hopper dropper wasn't working for me, so immediately I go back to my bread and butter. Indicator and a nymph. <laughs> Not indicator and a woolly, the, the olive woolly bugger. You know, with my favorite fly, bead headed olive woolly bugger. So. I'm walking the trout stream and like he was like Mike was saying, you know, we get a lot of the stalking over top of wild fish and stalking over top of native fish and things like that as well around here in Pennsylvania. Well, don't I see the don't I see a big yellow one out there? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to not try to catch him. So I'm pissing with this stupid yellow fish for a little while. My God, you know, and then. Finally, I'm like, I'm, I, I, move, I, I was on my knees, you know what I mean? Like trying to be creepy. He still didn't want anything to do with it. So I'm like, ah, if it, you know, I leave him. Next hole, I actually cast upstream, bring it down through. Nice wild brown comes up, smacks the fly. I get that one in and I sent a picture to you guys. I yep. was, you know, sending pictures up to everybody of everything. And, you know, I was having a good time. And I'm walking, walking, walking. I walk up further. I end up getting another little wild brown, you know, flopping off my, you know, flopping out of my hand before I snap any picks or whatever. He was little, little tiny thing, probably six, seven, eight inches, something like that. Twice as big as your wild rainbow. Sure, sure. <laughs> a, lot, a few more follows, and uh, so I start walking up upstream more, you know, and get to another hole, trying to get to another hole. Well, don't these two dogs come peeling? And there's not too many houses along there. There's one red freaking house. And these, this golden lab and a, I think it was a Britney Spaniel come down. And I mean, there's a, there's dogs barking and then there's dogs Dog barking with at you. Yeah. Ill, Ill intent. And I'm like, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not getting bit. I'm not, you know. Jump in the creek. Dude, I mean, and it was a deep, I wanted to fish this hole so bad. Huge log jam hole. I mean, it's <laughs> it's deeper than shit. It's probably. 24-inch brown came swimming out. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I jump into this hole, and I'm almost up to my nipples. Like, I'm about to push my weight or limit. Well, you're holding your hand at your belly button saying nipple. Okay. Oh, well, we'll say belly button to nipple. I, I jump into the water immediately, and I grab on a big big tree that's down, and I climb over top of it, and, you know, as fast as I can. My net's getting caught, you know what I mean, because I'm dragging a little net with me. Net's getting caught. I'm getting myself over top of this, and this, like, the, the lavit stayed away a little bit, but that Brittany Spaniel was right across the stream, and I mean, hair standing up on the on her back, and just going nuts on me. I'm Once I get across the stream, I'm... MF in this fish, or MF in this, you know, that dog, dog. And don't get the hell out of here, ah, you know, trying to scare it off. And finally, it leaves me alone. And I did not go back to that side of the creek for, you know, for the quite next, a while. Yeah, the next hundred yards or so. Oh, just scarier than hell. So walking upstream, still moored, haven't seen any more fish, or get up to a, a one, like, uh, obstacle or a nice big piece of structure and everything. And I, I, I look over and I see a dead fawn. Must have came, must have went across the creek when mom did, and when the high water was there, and yeah. might not have made it. I, I don't know. It looked pretty fresh. Anyway, how did it smell? It didn't smell at all. That's uh, that's why I knew. It, fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. And I'm casting, casting over this corner, and I snag up. So I'm like, ah, how? I'm gonna walk over there and grab it. I walk around, get that, get my snag out. Look behind me. There's little, oh, there's a little rainbow, like sitting in this little backwater. Well, I turn around, and there's like a vine or something. I trip, and I face plant. I mean, face first, right into the water. Wow. <laughs> and I'm, I'm basically fucking swimming at this point. And, uh, so I'm, you know, it's, it's, and you had waders on? Yes. A little bit of water in the waders. Not too, too god-awful. I got up pretty quickly. You know, hands down in the water, whole arm, you know, whatever. Elbow deep in the muck. Thank gosh. Nobody was there to, you know, laugh at me. I was cussing myself out. We didn't get any pictures of this. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Thank gosh my phone wasn't soaked or lost in the water because I always keep it in a pocket of my waders. So I ended up walking up, up on top of the structure, and I could get a nice drift that way, and it was coming around like an eddy, and then it would get sucked out into the current. Boom, goes down, boom. Lose, lose a rainbow. Yeah, you know, they're just stock rainbows, but still, lost a fish. I don't like losing any fish. Yeah. If you're going to hook it, you might as well bring it to hand. Yeah. So do the same thing again. Lose another rainbow. Like at this point, I'm like, F it. I'm, I'm just keep going to keep walking. Lost that fly. Lost the woolly bugger. So I threw it on a little sculpin. Didn't see any fish with it. And then I threw on, uh, and this is on the three weight. <laughs> I threw on an articulated uh, circus peanut. You know, got out of Kelly's shop. <laughs> Went in Rome. <laughs> yeah. Got out in Kelly's, got out of Kelly's shop. And I walk up and... Nice little log. I put it up underneath this log. Bounce, 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 bounce. Pull it back out just like I did in New York. And nice 15-inch brown come out. Wham! Wax it. And I have him on for about, you know, two seconds. And he comes off. And I'm just like, at this point, I've lost three fish in a row. Bad taste in my mouth. I'm all pissed off. Blame it on COVID. Yeah, I was, it was because of the Rona. <laughs> but, you know, uh, end up walking up a little further. See a 12. Do the same thing. Log jam. Put it underneath it. 12-inch fish comes out. I actually watched this one eat. I don't know. I must have farmed this one pretty bad. Can't get a good... Should have had my five weight. Should have known better. And yeah. this is... Wh- this it's is not a streamer rod. This is where I was getting at with the making mistakes thing. You know what I mean? I learned my lesson that uh, 
I I should have had my five weight. Should have took my five five foot or my nine foot five weight and you know used it. I could have had a little more versatility than throwing but, the smaller and the smaller rod's more fun. But I learned the lessons. But you didn't think you're probably gonna be streamer fishing at the point. No, I yeah. didn't think so. But you know, I should at least maybe taken it with me. I know I wasn't gonna truck it up the whole stream with me, but you know, it's not that big of a difference. And that creek's big enough to where you can use a nine foot five. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. You, uh, the smaller rookie stream. You know, you want that small, small rod and, you know, a little fruit. I should have known better. But, you know, again, I learned. You live I got my ass beat by four fish. And next time I go back, I'll have that rod and I won't fail. <laughs> 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 you know? But that was that was fun. And uh, down at the, hy- the hybrid hole, we've been getting our asses beat. The fluctuation in high water consistently up and down and up and down. I don't think's had those fish. In sitting, a happy mood. Yeah, and sitting in their places. They, you know... Water goes down, they're moving, they're not thinking about eating, they're moving, they're readjusting, and I just think it's kind of screwed us. And it's screwed the clarity of the water, not that our river's ever clear, but it's it was, you know, it was clear today. It looked beautiful today. Was it? Yeah. Well, not clear, but clear for Clear it. for us. Yes, relatively to it, it was clear. We had been going down, but uh, we did a after work on Thursday, went down. Um, my dad got one. I didn't see shit. Uh, who else was with us? Dick was with us. And Dick said the funniest thing I had heard. So I said, you know, he said, man, Chad's, man, where's, where's the SVS been? It's like, Chad's all about this full hard food. He's like, you know, I think it's just because he needs a reason to be fat. <laughs> hey, Dick, fuck you. Straight <laughs> <laughs> out of Dick's mouth. I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to say that on the podcast. But, you know. That, that is funny. Dick farmed about. Oh, Dick Farm three fish because Jace has a has a slushy down there, and you know give him a half a slushy. And I could hear him. I had to walk out in the middle of the river and fish because Jace is just right in Dick's ear. And Dick's not rude. Where he, you know, I'd tell Jace shut the fuck up and leave me alone. Dick's, Dick's, you know, Dick would be looking at Jace for a second, trying to you know listen and fish and fish, and you know ends up missing a few. But uh, it was fun to see Dick. It was always a good time out it's with him. It's always fun. Yeah. Got, Dad got one. Got a few good picks of Dad with the, get the fish. He hadn't been out in a little while. Um, and it was nice to see a fish finally because the last two times I think I've been there, everybody, you know, me, Jace, and Dad, or me, whoever was with me, it's nothing to see shit. So nice to see an, a fish. And so we went out I, today. I put the, put the, you know, feelers out there to a couple friends, you and – uh, PJ and uh, you know the, the, the usuals and then I found Jordan wanted to come out so you know oh cool okay Jordan's coming out Jace is gonna be mad when he heard Christopher said came into town because he waffled on me <laughs> just say yes Jace just Christopherson yes. waffled on Jace no Jace waffled on me earlier when uh, I was asking people like you and everybody else yeah. you know the you know the, the team here first yeah PJ you know whatever and then you know, then I start to branch out to, you know, the auxiliary people. Yeah, the, the rest of us, the, the rest of the the rest of the gang. You the know? non-rowers. Yeah, the, exactly, the <laughs> non-rowers. So Jordan gets called, you know, and Dad was supposed to be going to camp, uh, so he didn't want to go. He didn't end up at camp. We'll tell the story in a little bit, but so I, you know, it's, I I message a couple guys on Instagram we fished with here and there, um, and one got back to me a little later. I think I'm going to go out with him for both in next week. Uh, John and uh, but Christopherson's like fuck it yeah I'll come up 
And I'm like, oh, no way. Awesome, dude. So he's like, I'll just head up Saturday night and, you know, we'll go on a, a whole full smallmouth float. I haven't got the, we haven't smallmouth float no. with, been... our, with our wives, what, three fucking months ago? That was 4th of July. Okay, so what? A month and a half. Okay, a month and a half ago. Felt like forever. Um, and beginning of the morning, this morning, right off the bat, uh, Jordan missed one on a circus peanut. And came down to where we usually anchor at first, mm -hmm. right above that riffle. Mm -hmm. Didn't see anything. Got down starting into the riffle, though. Um, and fish started hitting. A couple. Like, we got about four fish out of there. Like, in the riffles, not yeah. actually above it. So I was like, oh, all right, all right. We're going to be gonna be good. Yeah, good, good, good day. Dude, from there all the way down to damn near, you know. We're Lee Burger Parks. Yeah. <laughs> Like, all the way down, like, way, way through all, half the fucking, more than half the float. Didn't see shit. You know, guys are casting forever. I've, I've fished the whole pike section, mm -hmm. you know, with a decent-sized fly, you know, big smallmouth fly, small pike fly. Yeah. You know, just to see if anything wanted to, and I know it might not be the most ethical thing to fish for pike right now, but, I mean, you're catching itty-bitties. The river's still 72. Yeah, I mean, it's not too high. Yeah. So. They're no trout. No, no, they're not trout, and, you know, we're not fighting them for 25 minutes, and they're usually about 25 inches, so. Yeah. Anyway, though I didn't see any, so we keep going. Yeah, down. so you're totally ethical. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I didn't see any shit. I was, so, you know, so we get, we get down through, get down through, and stop for a little snack, a little, you know, stopped at your pooping spot. I almost shit myself with a fart. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I might have to use Chad's pooping spot. But uh, get down far, like, to where we really like to smallmouth fish, summer smallmouth fish, and it really picked up. And the river, they lower the river while we were on it. So by the time the water actually flowed out and got to us where, you know, we were looking down, I'm like, I started looking at the bank, and I could see a little, you know, the wet line. The wet line. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what the hell's happening? And, you know, fish are starting to hit. Fish are starting to hit. Fish are starting to hit. Okay, okay. So we're, we're picking up our numbers. are starting to, okay, we're getting some numbers. We're getting the cookie cutters. Cookie cutter, cookie cutter. Okay, this is perfect. This is what we want. If we can catch cookie cutter... 12 inches to 14 inches all day long regularly you know the big ones are going to come in between you know so we get down through our you know our street area where we really like and numbers are picking up and again then we start fishing river right through the next section above the hybrid hole and we've i've pulled a few big fish out of there in the last couple of years you know dad got one i've got another and so we're rolling down through that section and Jordan, I mean, he, this fish just sucks this fly, and he trout sets like a <laughs> like crazy, hooks the fish, great. This fish has given us the business, dude. I'm trying to net it, row a little. It's giving him the business. It's not, it's not having this at all. I give, I hand Justin a net. I'm like, you know, you net him. I got to row. I got to move the boat around or something. It's not, this isn't working. So we got to chase the fish. Like yeah. It's tarping. I, yeah. I, well, I mean, just spinning the boat. It's going underneath. It's wrapping around the fucking oars and you know, shit's just not going right. So I give him the net. I'm moving the oars. you know, move the oar out of the way. He tries to get the fish. Fish is like right on the edge of the net. And then he, he rolls it in there. It was nice. And Jordan's pumped. That fish saves the day at this point. You know, yeah. this is the fish we were here for today, you know, and it saves the day. So it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. Jordan got that big fish. We're right above where, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get at it. And, uh, so dad, he comes out last night and visited with Justin, you know, and 
they have and they're having a few beers keeping my daughter up my daughter has to come downstairs and tell them to shut the fuck up and lower papa, lower your voice go to sleep papa go home yeah go home lower your voices at least so i can sleep this is like three times so dad's like oh hey you know once you guys get down there i'll just meet you down at that hole and i'll bring you guys lunch i'll bring you you know i'll bring you some mcdonald's whatever you guys want it's like awesome dude he brought us like um, he brought us three waters, some Taco Bell, dude, McDonald's. So we get there. Did we he bring you a, a Bell Beaver. Oh yeah, it was so <laughs> awesome, dude. Beef burrito, dude. It was. He did too. It was awesome. So we end up. There's a big log over there on that side. That's you can't put the boat down like we usually do, like on the edge of that. Oh, so it's new. Oh yeah, there and it it comes all the way from where you like would get out and have somebody walk around. And all the way down through, like, on top of it. So you got to go way out. So Justin got out, walked around. He had to walk up on top, like, where I like to fish. And we had to, like, put the boat down toward the middle. Mm-hmm. So all, I got Jordan so close. He got out, stepped down. We, we pulled. It, it actually worked out pretty well. And I was able to, once they got so far, they I actually just got back into the boat. So were you still left of the the big log that's on yes. top there, okay. there it's there's a spot in between the two different logs and okay. that that other middle logs just got screwed now but anyway so we get down through there and i get jumped back in the boat get you know and they i can row back over to them they get back in we actually go across not but down low uh-huh. as low as we could justin actually had to jump out before we went down the whole way grab the boat and pull it over and like i said then we ate and I gave Justin, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the first person that will sit. I'll give you the first few chances. Yep. Like, I'll let you fish first for a while. You do what you want, you know, before I go out and give her hell, you know. And he, we all tried, tried. And uh, <clears throat> so I end up going down, fishing up, you know, from below, not working, not working, not working. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm I'm just gonna do it how I like to do it. I gotta I, be up top. I like to stand above them, and I like a floating line. I'll throw my I I made a game changer that has the proper keel weighting for there. It's probably not the best for everywhere, but for that. But it, it it's really specific to that spot, and it works great for me with a floating line. It gets down just enough, you know, and you don't have to have any sinkers on your line like I was using before. The fly is weighted enough itself, so I can mend and keep my line up in the currents and keep and rip through the eddies and keep it right below me as I'm fishing at the tops of the hole. I run, I run across. I'm hooking one, and Justin comes down with the net, helped me out. It was awesome. I haven't caught one of them in quite a little while. Last one, but the last three I have caught were all on that same fly. So, or my dad caught one, I caught the other two. So it was a good day. And then, then the storm started. We hear some lightning and some thunder, and they start rolling in, and we're still there. And mom and dad had just put my mom came down too. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah, she had never been there. She never seen anybody catch a striper. She was there when you caught. Yeah. Her? Oh, yeah. She got to see me getting peeled and yelling and hooting and hollering. Woo! Yeah. You know. And That's cool. Having a good time with it, and uh, so she got to see all that, and she had fun down there. She wanted to see Justin too and visit for a little while, and this is one of my best buddies. You know, I've known for years and years and years since I lived in Columbus, and is Justin Christofferson. He Works at Mad River Outfitters. He's a guide at Mad River Outfitters, and he's also a shop rat. Uh, so <clears throat> that was awesome, awesome fun. The storms start rolling in. We're like, you know what? We might want to peel out of here, but we didn't like we didn't stop like fishing. 
we kept fishing. I bet we caught six, seven more smallmouth from that stretch down. I would have liked to hit it a little harder. And then they got the the pilings in the yeah. river now. So, so it's hard to that, navigate. That spot from that green bridge down is basically yeah. unless you're going to fish for your pets. Yeah. You know, and it was raining at cats and dogs then, and we were just getting soaked, lightning. We're just I'm just front rowing as fast as I can to get us the hell out of there and safe. So that was that was my day today and it, you know those the late pickup of the fish and the lowering of the river i think really helped you know like 100 and 100 some 150 160 cfs it went down really helped the fishing i think and we had a good day it was a fun day fun day to be out with the friends i was fun to have a good float I haven't rode my raft in <laughs> quite a while i know um i had planned on two floats this weekend before <laughs> I, I got word that you were doing other pl- things plans got changed Oh, I, I didn't get to talk about this if we have a little bit of time. Yeah. I bought a 1967 uh, StarCraft with a 9.5 Evinrude. Got a Minn Kota on it and a Lowrance. It was already on it and set up. Uh, my dad and I took the maiden voyage up for Bofin. Uh, what was it, last weekend? Yeah. Um, oh, it was awesome. Awesome. So much better for that spot than rowing a raft. Yeah. I will tell you that. Um. You know, I was wondering whether the trolling motor in the rear would be as good as it being on the front, like Mark has on his. It was awesome. It was perfect for me. Yeah. I mean, you know. It, Did it you fish out of the back then? Or yeah. Did fish out of the bow? Yeah. My dad made me do everything. Like, well, I'm not OG backer-upper of trailers, and I'm not OG of knowing really about boats with motors and such. I mean, I'm not. I, my dad had one growing up, the same, very similar style boat growing up and he knows more than i know about all that stuff he's you know he's been fishing forever yes he's good at it knows how to troll for walleye and and pit places around here and da 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 so but he made me do everything he was like no i'm not doing it you're doing it i backed that thing right in perfect backed it right up to pull it up perfect trolling motor a five-speed trolling motor on that little boat dude peels that thing through there so we were able to move move uh missed the fish early um he hooked one lost it pretty quick and that was on one of those like the deceivers we throw usually throw for them i had one smack a changer and didn't hook up so i switched to the deceiver as well we went and then we went down the uh away from the main section did you go up and down more since you had a motor absolutely we went pretty far up and you went up both sides yeah we went up and down okay down i there's like a 90 degree bend in a big pool yes did you go past that we went to that okay that's as far as i've been also yeah so we went to that and we saw some some um some fish moving and you know i learned about bowfin that they could have a gas or like a a a air chamber or whatever it be or like they're like tarpon they come up and suck air they can yeah and they they can take that air and and make it you know they don't have to use their gills so that was pretty cool. I read about that later on. An obligate air breather. Yeah. Gas bladder or air bladder, whatever they call it. And they said there's so many capillaries and things in there that actually can take the oxygen out of that. So that's pretty cool to hear. So I think when we see them coming up a lot, we think it's them maybe trying to eat something or that. It's, it's them doing that. So, But you can at least you can target the fish that way because with a you fly. You know where they are. With a fly, you like they don't see well. You know, and they use they work off scent more than they do off sight. So you have to put the fly right on their fucking head anyway. So, you know, to be able to see them and target them that way really helped. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or does help us. And so we've seen them doing that up there a little bit more. And you know, Dad targeted one, 
put it right on him, catches one. Uh, I found out males uh, keep the dot, females lose the dot, and juveniles have the dot. Um, so when you get a mature female, it, do, it won't have a dot on okay. its tail. Okay, that's something I, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I, I did a little bit of reading the next night in bed, uh, or that night in bed, uh, a, just a whole pair thing on them. Uh, just to learn, you know, learn a little more. You might It might well, help you catch them. Was that the most interesting thing that happened in your bed? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, just the little things you might know, learn, you know, just learning about the fish in general might help you in the long run and catching them as well. So we did that, and then we went down the other end, or went down through and back down the other channel, and that's, we, uh, I was fishing along, along the, we mm-hmm. had the boat sideways, we were both fishing along them instead of at them. I think that kind of helps too. Because then you're covering more area. You don't have to smack them right on the head. Yep. You can pull it in front of their face. I ended up hooking a decent one there. Dude, it fought me like a tank. Bent my hook. And we're talking, these are like musky hooks. Yeah. We're not tying the deceivers on little hooks because we learned our lessons with that. They get just twisted into pieces. And this, they actually bent the shank of the hook. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like fighting me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But I ended up bending it back straight so it wasn't spinning in circles. Yeah. And at that point, it was getting a little later in the day. And uh, I missed another one a little later in the day. We're like, well, let's start the big motor up. So third pull, thing starts right up. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Okay, okay, we're doing good. Wait, you've never had that in water except for in a, a 55-gallon drum at your house? Yes, okay. yes. And uh, so it started right up, fired right up, and it didn't really it, – it's not that fast. No, it's an older motor. I have that same motor. Yeah, yeah it's an older motor. You know, not, not, we're, not, we're not setting any speed records. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cruising it around, and I'm trying to figure out, like, the, um, there's a little, uh, and I, like I said, I don't know anything about any of this, so I'm going to sound like a total idiot. But there's a, there's a little dial in the front. It's black. It says, like, um, lean or not. Like, lean or rich. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, so I'm just trying to turn that just to see if it did anything with the motor moving any faster or anything like that. I could probably get a nicer aluminum prop or stainless or are they aluminum or what are they like the ones that are real nice and sharp and really cut the water you can get mine's a big fat dirty old one yeah it's a dirty old steel one yeah but that you know what for nine five it's not going to make any difference yeah i I mean that's what he said he's like you know it's moving us fast enough what do we really need you know it's better than rowing yeah yeah i'm right so I'm I'm messing with that lean thing, and all of a sudden, you know, I got the, I, I'm looking and I'm not looking forward. I almost end up peeling one of those things, dude. <laughs> I almost just my dad's like, "What are you doing?" Yelling at me. He almost like, had to put a cigarette down to yell at you. Oh, <laughs> uh, and that picture I took of my dad, and that is the epitome of that man, and you know it too. Yep. A fish in hand and a cigarette in mouth, and that's you know I'll never forget. I'll I'll remember my dad like that for the rest of. I mean, my dad's alive now, but he, you know, even when he's long and gone, uh, that's how I'll remember dad. Yep. You know, Ricky Steelhead. Absolutely. But we had a good time out together, just me and him, and we talked and you know just laughing and having a good old time, and you know I I really enjoyed myself that day. I like being up there. I love that boat. I do. I fell in love that day. Are you gonna put decks on it? No, I don't think so. No. I put two pieces of carpet down in the center, like the two, you know, like between the center seat. Yeah. You could lay your line down there. You're not you're not gaining anything by decks, but standing up and making it a little more wobbly, I feel like. And I didn't have any troubles. Okay. So I don't think I will. Um, 
it might make it a little easier because you could stand back or forward a little further and might be able to fit a third in the middle. But even then, it's like you don't need a third it's person It's still a 12-foot boat. Yeah, exactly. At that point, somebody's going to be casting over somebody else's head and unsafe. Yeah. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I love it. It's a, it's a great option to have. So he wants to take it out trolling, you know, in the local lakes too for walleye up, up north a little bit. And, you know, that's cool too. Hey, it's yours too. It's, well, it's mine, but, it, you know. It's his. Anything that's mine is his, and anything is his is mine. That's how we treat each other. And, yep. You know. Yeah, you use his truck enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I use his. I used his truck today. <laughs> He's like, you know, the excuse of that trailer not getting fixed is or not done is getting old. Tell Chad to come over here and put the fucking lights on it. Because the last time when I tried putting oh, yeah. lights on it, it did not work. So yeah, I'll you might have to help me out this week sometime after yeah. work. I don't think I have any other stories than that, Chad. I don't have anything else, man. I think so, that was a great podcast back. I, it was. We Thank you, Mike. Go check him out as tra- Transal Waiter on Instagram. Uh, tonight's show been brought to you by A-Rex Hooks. Check them out at A-Rex.com. Predator Fly Gear. PredatorFlyGear.com. Check out our boy Ryan Evans at Queen City Guiding. Check out the shop in Springville, uh, New York, and the online site at QueenCityGuiding.com. Sims. Sims Fishing. Fish it well. Uh, tonight's show has been recorded live from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check out Mark at urbanflycompany.com. Don't call the bank, call Frank. And check out Down to Earth Wealth Management. Yeti Bill for the Wild. Over there's where we put the preachers. I never liked those clowns. They're always blaming me for everything wrong under the sun. It ain't that harder to do what's right. It's just maybe not as much fun. Then they walk around thinking they're better than me and you. And then they get caught in a motel room doing what you said not to do.